Welcome to Sportsnet Today with your hosts Chris Faber and David Quadrelli filling in for Vic Nazar today. Coming off of a big comeback from behind victory for the Vancouver Canucks, a 2-1 overtime win over the Anaheim Ducks. And we're back in action tonight. Another Canucks game as they continue on through California to face off against the LA Kings and look to make it eight games in a row, quads. Eight wins in a row. But first, how's that drive in? You know, a little bit of snow on the uh, on the roads there, a little slush, but you you were making it through in the little Audi, weren't you? No problems for me. A lot of problems for other people, I noticed, but I don't know. When I was learning how to drive, I had to learn how to drive in the snow. I'm very comfortable driving in the snow, so I can't say the same for everybody else on the road, but I was okay. I was going to say, like, I, I come in from White Rock, came down the highway there. Not a lot of cars in the ditch on the highway. People are doing all right today, I hope. Not on the highway, but definitely once we entered Vancouver, I definitely noticed a few. Producer Eddie Gregory had some struggles getting in today, though, I heard. You said the key word there, Quads. Vancouver. Coming into the city from the suburbs, from Coquitlam, where I come from, was fine. But then you hit Vancouver, and all of a sudden, that's where people don't know what to do. And we did not have a lot of snow last night. I mean, there was a decent amount that fell, but it wasn't an unmanageable amount of snow that fell. And there was enough time to clean it up to make sure that everything was hunky-dory by the time the morning rolled around. Light snow. It wasn't slushy stuff yet. No, it was it was light and fluffy, exactly. Mm-hmm. And Eddie and I tr- aren't trying to shame people who aren't living in Coquitlam, even though it's one of the best cities in Absolutely. the lower mainland. But we're not trying to shame people who aren't from Coquitlam. But I, I have noticed, just in general, people that live in Coquitlam know how to drive in the snow a little bit better. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I mean, you have to in order to live in Coquitlam because Coquitlam does get a little bit more snow than other parts of the lower mainland. You guys got those hills up there, too. We do, yeah. We got those hills. Coquitlam Hills. That would be a good, uh, if they ever want to switch from Express, the Coquitlam Hills. That's a horrible Any name. Any run there? No, no, no. Eddie's Eddie's no. nodding along, but that's no. a horrible name. Why would you change the name of a team that won two championships under the name Express, including a national championship? Just saying, if it ever, if it ever. Do your research before coming at the king. Before it presents itself here. See, the, okay, that, I don't oh. know. We got to be careful. This is going to turn into a Coquitlam show maybe, pretty And quick. maybe a third championship were it not for the 2020 COVID pandemic. Exactly. That's another story for another day. Exactly. <laughs> Another day. Hey, let's get into it. Uh, we want to hear reaction from you as well. Hit us up on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Text us at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver or online. For you millennials, quads, are you, no, you're something else, right? What are you, Gen Z something Gen else? Gen Z. Gen Z. For you Gen Zs out there, online at DunbarLumber.com. Or Eddie as well, who just uh, celebrated his 40th birthday. They can, they can go on the interwebs too, right, Eddie? You know the internet? Oh, we know we know our way around, yeah. Okay, just making sure. We uh, dial up and use the HTTP yeah. <laughs> and the colons and the slashes, and then we enter the address. That's where he gets his Dunbar Lumber right there. Yes. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, like we said, Bruce Boudreaux has this team on a seven-game win streak since coming in as a head coach. Ties the record for the longest win streak to begin a coaching stint in the NHL. I mean, what, what what can we say at this point, Quads? I mean, we're looking at Bruce Boudreaux coming in here, making obviously a massive difference to this team. One win was been, you know, nice for Canucks fans after seeing what happened in the first 25 games. But here the Canucks are running off seven straight wins under Bruce Boudreaux. Excellent start for the Vancouver Canu- Canucks under their new coach. I don't know what I don't know what else, what you can say here. Like I'm expecting to see eight wins tonight as they face the LA Kings. What we can say is if they reach that eighth win. That's some history books right there. We're not going to say what it is because we don't want to jinx Bruce Boudreaux and the Canucks, so we're not going to say it. Maybe we'll say it later in the show. I'll think about it. But for now, I'm not going to say it. There's some history, potentially, that could be made tonight. But 
what we can say is that a few of the questions that we posed on these very airwaves yesterday, Chris, at the same time yesterday, have seemingly been answered. One of them was Thatcher Demko. What kind of Thatcher Demko are you going to get? You have a goaltender who, you know, in the past two seasons has started the season pretty slow. Would this shutdown hurt him? Or would he just go right back to being the Thatcher Demko that Canucks fans know and love? I'd say it was the latter. I really would. And the other question was momentum. JT Miller said there's there's not too much momentum now because we've been off for so long. Remember, before yesterday, they hadn't played since December 16th. So you don't really have that momentum but it's all about regaining that momentum and building that momentum up again because they did lose it, but it was all about coming out and having a strong game. And I would say, like, you guys can chime in here, but I would say that that was the strongest game the Canucks have played under Bruce Boudreaux. I know the score doesn't reflect it, but you look at the performance John Gibson turned in last night. Yeah. Like, in in past games and past years, the Canucks would lose that game. And it would just be, oh, well, goalie was on a heater. But they found a way to win, and that's kind of the theme that we've seen over this win streak is finding a way to win. And for a team that played a very complete game yesterday, only winning by one goal, and again, in overtime, it was close, that's still huge to come back and win that game. So they have the momentum. I think now they're starting to build it, and now they at least have some momentum heading into tonight. You saw a first period where, yes, the Canucks came out of it with a one goal deficit, but it felt like they were winning that first period. It felt like they were winning at least like the shot, the scoring chances shots were eight, eight after the first period, but it just had that feeling. And and that's something that just under Bruce Boudreaux, you have this feeling with this Vancouver Canucks team where they are going to come out with a win. And obviously it's been like that in the first seven games, they've won every single one. So there's reason to believe that this is going to happen more, more often than it doesn't. But I, I don't know, just watching the games, you have a different feeling. And then you saw the Canucks just absolutely take over after the first period. They outshot the Ducks 29-15 to to finish out the game after the first period, after tying them 8-8 in the first. And the players knew it. Like, uh, we'll throw to a clip here with JT Miller just talking about it. They absolutely knew that they were going to win this game after the first period. We knew in the second period we kind of had them. We knew what was working. First, we were... You know, we were, we, we, I, think, I think it was a bad first period. We were just looked like we were getting our bearings a little bit after the break. And then the second, we, we really started to realize we were doing some good things and knew what it was going to take to win a game. And, you know, the third was by far our best period. So um, this was, was really good for our group to stay with a character-type win like that. Character-type wins is what this team needs moving forward here, Quads. And listen, they need a lot more wins to be able to actually have a serious conversation about this team being a playoff team. But right now, sitting four points back, I think it's... It's not. It shouldn't be taken off the table for us to talk about it in Sports Talk Radio in Vancouver now that playoffs could be a possibility for this team if they continue to run this hot. If they continue to run this hot, I've said it every time we've come on this station, President's Trophy, 134-point season, okay, and now, we should be planning the parade. We should be. In all seriousness, though. You should be planning the Coquillum Express parade before you start planning the Canucks parade. That was 1920. Eddie's probably t- already got the maps all set up. We had them all set in 2020, and then they got <laughs> lost. That's so sad. That's actually a really sad story. Maybe okay. we'll touch on that later. I want to tell that later. story. That's a really good story, that 1920 team. There was a lot of good storylines in there. I know I covered that team for uh, BCHL Network. But yeah, regardless... We know. We've heard it every episode that we've done with I, Eddie. I paid my dues. Dollywell told me to pay my dues. I did it for one season. I paid my dues in junior hockey. But it was I, you guys tell me Coquitlam's this amazing city. You it is. You didn't have to go to Fort, it's great. Exactly. Fort Mac, Grand yeah, Prairie, Yeah, Dollywell tells places. me I got to go to like Fort St. John to pay my dues. I was like, oh, I'll take Coquitlam. Thank I you. I love Coquitlam. I love Coquitlam as well. I've been there for most of my life, and I'll sing his praises until I die. Exactly. Coquitlam's great. We what got were we Dan in about? Fort St. John here. He doesn't like you throwing oh, the shade. 
Sorry, sorry, Dan. But Dan actually has a really good text, and I don't think it was intended for us. I think it was intended for the last show, but we're going to read it because it's pretty cool. Dan in Fort St. John, sorry to Dan. Some JT Miller facts for the boys. He is now second in points per Tied with McGilney at 0.987, and he has passed Messier on the all-time Canuck goal list with 53. Oh, and he's a beast. Again, that from Dan in Fort St. John into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Hit us up there, folks. Nothing wrong with Fort St. John either, Quads. But, some, no. I mean, you love to see somebody pass Messier for sure. Yeah, and, and what I will say about Fort St. John and all these places that are, like, really cold, and that was the reason I didn't think I would want to go, it's been pretty cold here. I've been fine. I, I got a parking oh, garage. Man. Don't. I'm, I've been fine. I just haven't been outside. Like, if you're working in- Anybody up there right now is looking at you, looking at their radio right now or their <laughs> app, and they're saying, shut up. Is it that bad? It's a lot colder out there right now, Quads. Yeah, but it's like, isn't it it's like It's like minus cold? 12 here, and it's sunny. Yeah, that's true. I was I still slipped almost. I, when I worked in Grand Prairie, it snowed upwards at times. Like it was windy, and the snow would come up off the ground and get you in the face. Yeah, I don't want to hear about your Coquitlam little bit of snow here messing yeah, up. Yeah, okay. It was gone. No, it's nothing like that. Dan and Alberni said, "What happened to the Burnaby Bulldogs, my former team, back in my youths?" Okay, back to the Canucks. <laughs> We're not going back down this Burnaby Coquitlam love fest here. Uh so the team, like I said, like there still needs to be a lot of wins. The way that I've projected it out is looking at the final 50 games of the year, because yeah, that's all we got left is 50 games for the Vancouver Canucks, assuming, and I think this is something that we can assume, that we're going to see a total of 82 games played this year in the NHL. That's what we expect to see. So the final 50 games, for, for them to have a 54% chance of making the playoffs, is according to Sports Club stats, they need to go 29, 16, and 5. So that's still a very tough record to finish out the season with. They're sitting at 500 right now, which is great. I think that's the first point that you wanted to get to after making some changes with the organization. But 29-16-5 is still a very tough record to finish out the season, and that just gives them just over 50% chance of being in a playoff spot. It's like when Boudreaux got here. It's similar to what he said, right? And he said, when you look at it, it looks daunting. But all we have to do is win each week. If we win each week, nine weeks in a row, all of a sudden we're back in a playoff spot. And... It took less than nine weeks. It's looking like it could take three or four weeks, maybe five, if they continue on this heater, right? Like, they will be back in a playoff spot eventually. Now, maintaining that is important. And when you're losing games, not losing games, sorry, when you're not getting a clean two points against a division rival like the Anaheim Ducks, like, when you look at the standings, the Anaheim Ducks are the team that the Canucks need to catch. So, yes, the win is great, and I'm not trying to come out here and be negative on the team, but... Not getting two po- getting two points but letting Anaheim get one isn't great for catching them in the standings, and it, it makes it a little bit harder. Just just a little bit, but still, getting the win, that's what really matters, right? Yeah, I think at, at certain points, especially with this team and the spot that they're in, they just need to get the wins. But you do have to recognize that the Anaheim Ducks are one of the teams the Canucks are going to have to pass to get into a playoff spot. But man, like this, this team really is beginning to start to believe in themselves like you can see it clearly on the ice you can hear it in the post-game media availabilities and the pre-game everything about this team right now is looking like they're believing in themselves and I think a lot of that credit needs to be given to Bruce Boudreaux with him really being like the first guy to install players believing in themselves it started with him coming in on day one and making an impact and talking to some of the top players who were struggling we obviously saw a lot of turnaround in Brock Besser's game we saw JT Miller take over games yesterday I thought Connor Garland was excellent last night just a lot about this team that that feels like they are taking steps towards potentially being 
a playoff team anyways. Uh, you're listening to Sportsnet today here with Chris Faber and David Quadrelli on Sportsnet 650. Speaking of those playoff-type wins, that's something that JT Miller mentioned yesterday as he talked about it. It was a gritty game. They came back. We were expecting a high-scoring game. Both goaltenders were great, specifically John Gibson was excellent. Uh, but JT Miller talked about last night being one of those playoff-style wins. You know, we're moving in the right direction. We weren't, you know, we're not doing a whole, you know, a whole lot of different things than we were when we were losing, to be quite honest with you. Um, you know, I think we're, we're rounding into a more complete game right now. We're finding ways to win. I mean, that's that's a hard game for us to come off a two-week break into this, you know, this building. I have had, like, no success in personally in this career. You know, even as a team, I've struggled here. So it's a hard building for to play in, and I think it's just a character-type win. It's a playoff-type win, two-to-one game down one going and that we talked about going in the third period we're in a good spot right now um just stay with it and i thought we got better as the game went on which is a good sign for good teams see now the vancouver canucks need to figure out how to get those playoff type wins into actual playoff wins and that's the the big bridge that they need to cross over these next 50 games and to see what they've done over the past seven does open up the door for the next 50 to have that potential like we said you're looking at look at getting about 29 30 wins in your final 50 games and the way the Canucks are playing right now, that doesn't sound too far out of the realm of possibility. No, it absolutely doesn't. You're going to be watching this team, and you have people buying into this team again. Like I've again, I, I always kind of relate it to the old personal life here. I've got friends all of a sudden saying, "Hey, I want to start watching Canucks games. This team's all of a sudden doing well. What what is it? Is it just the coaching change?" And you know, obviously, I go on the big rant and explain everything that's going on. But you know, people are buying in again. People are buying in, and for a team whose players weren't buying in just over a month ago, and remember, JT Miller was asked, is everybody buying in right now, and didn't really want to answer, so that tells you everything you need to know, right? For a team that had that just over a month ago, to have this much of a dramatic shift, and even, you know, Miller said, like, we're not really playing, doing things a lot different than we were before. I disagree with that a little bit, but but he he is right to an extent. It's not like this team all of a sudden looks dramatically different. They're just getting the results now. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about good teams, right, is when you do have one of those 50-50 games, the good teams obviously get a lot more wins out of them. And that wasn't happening for the Vancouver Canucks in the first little bit. It just feels like, to me, for so long with the Vancouver Canucks, it felt like they were just not trying to lose. Right, like they were going out there just not trying to lose with Travis Green as their head coach, and that's that's not going to get you a lot of wins. Like if you're just going out there to not lose, that's not the aggressive style that you want. That aggressive style has come to this team with Bruce Boudreaux coming in, going out there and wanting to win every neutral zone battle. Every time the puck's coming up from the opposition in the neutral zone, Bruce Boudreaux's teams want to take that puck and get going into their own offensive situation. This is a very different looking team, the way that they're playing with just, I, I noticed like looking on the penalty kill yesterday, did you notice that they, so they kill off four penalties, a great performance by the penalty kill. So aggressive, just so aggressive in the neutral zone, not letting them get set up, but it, it kind of resulted in some three on two opportunities, some rush chances for the ducks yesterday. But overall, you like to see that aggressive nature because it's so much different than what was not working for the Vancouver Canucks in the first 25 games that it's a different thing that worked, even though it gave up some scoring chances. They were lucky to, to you know, have some of those lower-quality shots on Thatcher Demko. Those were probably the toughest shots that he faced were some of those three-on-two opportunities on the power play. But just having your short, your penalty-killing group look so different, it, it obviously something had to change with the penalty-killing group. And to see them go 4-4 four for four yesterday, who would have thought that a month ago, seeing what this Canucks team was doing, basically letting up two power play goals a game, it felt like. 
key play by Elias Pettersson on the penalty kill last night too. Speaking of things that you didn't think you'd see when you were watching this team a month ago, Elias Pettersson being effective on the penalty kill. Big shot block, you're right, and that was an impressive uh, performance by him. Elias Pettersson led, uh, led all forwards in ice time, playing uh, 18 and a half minutes. I've, I've found that kind of interesting seeing that he was number one with only 18 and a half minutes. How many times in the past have we seen Bo Horvat or, or JT Miller at 22, 24 minutes? Really starting to see some balance, it feels like, with the top forwards. When the top guy gets 18 and a half minutes, and you're talking about five on five, a guy who kills penalties, plays power play time, I found that pretty low for the top forward. It, like, it seems like the, the ice time's really being spread out in that top nine. I don't want to jump to conclusions yet because part of me thinks that that was partly due to the fact that the players hadn't played in a while and Bruce didn't want to overwork any specific players. Now, obviously he's a little handcuffed with that when it comes to the defense and we need to talk about Tyler Myers because this guy is on an absolute heater. Okay, I've been calling for it since, what, since he signed, basically. I've yeah, been the okay. biggest Tyler Myers supporter. Let's get to the overtime goal here, because that's where I want to start with Tyler Myers. But first, um, probably should have done this off the top of the show, but hey, we're going to do it now anyways. we got a jam-packed show, Quads. We're doing this opening. We're excited to talk some Canucks hockey. Feels like a very different vibe from yesterday's show as we're dealing with cancellations and COVID cases. Instead, we're actually talking about hockey in the game, which is exciting. So excuse me for not telling you who our guest list is today. But 12.30, we're going to talk to David Amber of Sportsnet. We're going to see how the Canucks are being felt around the NHL a little bit more and should we be putting more respect on JT Miller's name Lachlan Irvin's going to join us at one o'clock to talk about some goaltenders uh, as well as Harmon Dial joining us at 1 30 and then Aiden McDonough the Canucks top prospect in my eyes joining us at 2 30 but you got some some news to get to here quads we got a text from the boss the big boss this is from Elliot Friedman not the text this is a tweet from Elliot Friedman that we need to read now some questions about Vancouver's home dates on January 5th and January 8th like other Canadian teams the decision might be to postpone until capacity is larger. So that, again, from Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman. We've seen this with our other organizations, and we were told that it wouldn't affect the Canucks, the BC government obviously announcing that venues will be down to 50% capacity. This obviously applies to Rogers Arena, 50% capacity, but the NHL potentially deciding to postpone Vancouver's home games until capacity limits are lifted or until a later date because we don't know if capacity limits will be lifted right right so yeah we're seeing obviously a lot of the arenas in the united states are still running at full capacity a little bit different up here in canada uh, i know montreal is still at zero right and we just see the case numbers rising in quebec the, the ridiculous numbers in quebec and ontario that we saw yesterday and as well as highs for uh british columbia as well so um yeah I, like i don't know i think that they have some time and some flexibility now with the teams not going to the Olympics to maybe hope that things are better in a couple months down the road. So I don't hate this idea. I don't love the idea of games being, I guess, just taken off the schedule right now. Like if there if there is a chance for them to potentially play on the, as we've seen with some of the Eastern teams, be able to play on the other teams' arena, that's an option. But I, man, it, you know, with this team, like. How much fun did we have actually watching a hockey game last night? I think we really just need some hockey as well, even if it's at 50% capacity. But that's still tough for me to – like, I, w- I wonder how many people out there – and I know everybody wants to get back to Canucks games, but I'm sure there's a good percentage of people that are probably pretty worried about going into an arena with 9,000 people in it. Like, that worries me a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. But you know what I'm more worried about? 
and not, I don't know if worried is the right word, but the thing that I think of first when I see this is the players' families, right? Like, they just had Christmas with their families. Now they leave. They're not going to be home for New Year's, whatever. They're going to be on a longer road trip than expected now. That's not easy on the families, right? And that's that's kind of what I feel for because, again, uh, I'm not going to name names, but a Canucks player, um, their, their significant other posted a video on Instagram of their child saying they miss their dad and that oh that was cute that was very cute and it was very tough to watch now that and that just comes to mind immediately as soon as i see this uh that again if you're just tuning in uh canucks home dates on january 5th and january 8th potentially in jeopardy as the league looks to play games in venues that have no capacity limits so the canucks would uh ideally or not ideally but under this idea, would stay in the States for longer. We got a text here to the Dunbar Lumber 650-650 inbox from Vance and the Loops uh, asking about the 650 inbox from, uh, you got a strange text from Rogers. But yes, the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line is still open. Fire your thoughts, are we? We'd love to get to them. But hey, quads, here's the deal. 90 seconds, Tyler Myers, you love him, sets up the overtime goal yesterday by falling down in the neutral zone. Tell me how it all happened. Why was Tyler Myers playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers on the ice last night. Yeah, everybody else, everybody looks at that and says, oh, what's he doing? He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Falling down in the neutral zone, that, that chance does Someone not happen. Some would say that Tyler Myers set up that overtime goal last night with what he did against Winnipeg years ago when he fell over and took out the other two Canucks. Yes. Him falling down in the neutral zone kind of puts the Ducks on aware like, oh, no, we saw this before. Tyler Myers takes out his own players in the neutral zone, but boom, he doesn't and makes a great play falling down in the neutral zone, to set up JT Miller coming in on the breakaway. So you're saying this goal yesterday doesn't happen without Tyler Myers falling down. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If that's Quinn Hughes back there, they don't have a breakaway for JT Miller. Also, big credit to JT Miller because that little bank pass off the boards was sneaky smart. Like, Ricard Raquel was actually very close to making a play on that puck if JT Miller doesn't bank it off the boards. Yeah, if he's got to carry a step it up on there, him. Yeah, you're right. exactly. Like, I don't think he gets that step if he has to carry that. And puck that's up. a that's a high high IQ play by the guy who, by the way, is eighth in points in league scoring. Eighth. We're like we don't talk about that enough. On the other side, we need to talk about this with David Amber because Dave Da is going to give us more of a look from outside of Vancouver. Because listen, we're all excited. Seven game win streak. We're going for eight tonight. Everyone's jacked up about the Vancouver Canucks. They get back in action yesterday. We're all in a super excited mood for sure. But is that being felt around the league? We're going to hear about that from David Amber on the other side. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Chris Faber and David Quadrelli filling in for Bic Nazar live on Sportsnet 650. Sportsnet Today, Chris Faber, David Quadrelli filling in for Bic Nazar on Sportsnet Today in the afternoon. Gonna be joined by David Amber in just a couple of minutes here, but first want to get to a text from Terry from Qualicum. It says pure greed, fifty percent capacity is plenty. Gary Bettman is a greedy little troll. With the troll emoji from Terry from Coquitlam on the island. Tell you what, text line blows up on the island, man. I tell you that. Coquitlam on the island? What are you talking about? Qualicum. But you said Coquitlam, didn't you? I don't think so. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. I heard Coquitlam. Yeah. I was yeah, like, but you co- guys are both, as soon as We're I in your head. anything. We're, We're in, in your, your head. You've got Coquitlam on your mind. Uh, man. Come to an express game. We'll be there. All right. Let's get it to another text here. We got one from Drywaller Joe here. It's nice to hear you guys give credit where it's due. Miller is a beast and by far our best impact player. All I ever hear from media and puppet parrot listeners is about his <laughs> defensive flubs attitude 
and how he should be trade bait. Again, that from Drywaller Joe. I mean, he was saying nice things about us, so appreciate the text, Joe. But to, coming to, at the listeners, coming at everyone. Yeah, he's coming at everyone except Drywaller for us. Joe's not holding back. Yeah, I, I appreciate the text, Drywaller Joe. But just to just to and push back a little bit. Thank you for signing your text. Too. Yeah, Love we appreciate that. Text. Just to push back a little bit and stick up for the. Um, the evil Vancouver media. I thought the, you were going to do the puppet parrot listeners. And the, I'm sticking up for the puppet parrot listeners, too. I'm, okay. a, I'm the voice of the puppet parrot listeners. Yeah. Say that ten times fast. But nope. the whole trade bait thing, like, we had a text earlier where someone said, maybe the Canucks can trade JT Miller for Jacob Chikrin because they really do need some defensive help. I disagree with that, personally. Like, I'm not trading JT Miller, but... I'm willing to entertain the discussions of trading Miller because you can get a plethora of assets back, and his trade value is very high, obviously, right now. And who knows how long it's going to stay that high. And again, what's he going to ask for in free agency when his contract expires at the end of next year? Right? Like, a lot of these takes about, oh, trade him, do this, do this, do this, it's all about trying to be creative and make sure that it's not just a complete sunk cost when that contract does expire, right? And if the Canucks are looking to trade him as a rental at next year's trade deadline, which it doesn't appear like they, they will be, you're not going to get as much as you would by trading him right now. But that being said, trading him right now makes no sense. Like, yeah, it makes sure. zero sense. Because, again, a lot of those takes were coming when the team was losing, and it was looking like they need to figure something out because obviously this isn't working. But right now, when the team is playing the way they are, 7-0, and to trade JT Miller, that would be one of the stupidest things that this organization could do. And they right won't. Now, yeah. They won't. This organization does not want to trade JT Miller, and rightfully so. Absolutely. Like, you see the way that they're playing right now, and JT Miller is playing great under the new coach and Bruce Boudreaux as well. It's just, you you talk about the value here, quads. The value of a guy who's eighth in scoring in the NHL, very high if you were to hit the trademark. I think that's why people do bring up this conversation. They say, look, if this team's roster still isn't as good as a lot of people hope it can be, a good part of starting to change over the roster would be moving JT Miller. But you, like you said, you can't do that right now. I mean, after the seven-game win streak, you're looking at more exciting things for this season than we've seen in the past. I got to kind of back it up here because I dumbed down the listener's text quite a bit. The other text we got about trading Miller for Chikrin to Arizona was with the intent of Arizona then flipping Miller for different assets. And that was obviously just so the Canucks could get... Uh, Chikrin. Again, it's a bit of a pipe. Seems dream. a little strange for Arizona when they can it's, just get a massive haul yeah, for Chitrin it is. in their own. Another text. Reed crushing jelly monsters in Surrey says, gotta keep Miller. I think that's a good take. I was I thought that was the person's name for a second. Crushing jelly monsters. That's what they're doing. The that's old, what they're doing, the I hope. Parallel 49 uh, craft beer, local craft beer here, the jelly monsters. Yeah. Things are strong. All right, let's get to uh, our next guest here. David Amber hopping on the show. DA, how you doing, man? Good, guys. Hey, listen, this is the only market I know. It's 7-day winning streak. You guys are there trying to trade everyone. I mean, missed, and last I checked, the guy just scored an overtime goal last night. I mean, ooh, now you want to move them? What's going on here? Well, that's the problem. It's uh, We got a text saying that it's our puppet parrot listeners that want to trade him. So we're still trying to unpack <laughs> what that even means. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, 7-game win streak for it. I, You know, we're in this market here in Vancouver. We're all, we're all going all in right now on Bruce Boudreaux and everything that he's doing to this team. But, D.A., can you take a step back from it, from someone who's not here in Vancouver? What are your thoughts on this team over the seven-game win streak here? Well, I think it's been really impressive. I, I almost would chalk it up as a market correction to some degree. I, I was pretty bullish on this team to start the year, and they they certainly underwhelmed everyone by their performance, you know, for those first whatever it was, seven weeks. 
Um, but I think essentially the guys are – everyone was playing their abilities below the for a number of weeks. Like literally everyone except for probably Demko. And now you have, you know, Quinn Hughes feeling better about his game and Pedersen, and we all see what JT Miller's doing, and Besser, you know, he's had his whole scoring touch has been resurrected under Bruce Boudreaux. And I think the guys are just having fun again. And it, it was sort of an expectation. You know, I wasn't sure they were going to rattle off seven straight wins, but they certainly were playing far below their capabilities previous in the year. And now I think Bruce Boudreaux sort of given them a new feel for the game. Uh, uh, they're enjoying life. They're, they're out there. And maybe, you know, he's putting guys in different roles, Pedersen killing penalties and, and he sort of said as he was walking in, this isn't a bad thing. This is an opportunity. If you think you should be getting more power play time, show me. If you think you should be getting more PK time, show me. I mean, the one thing the coach controls is ice time, and guys have been sort of playing up to sort of say, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to, to make an impression on our new coach. So it's been really interesting to watch, and, and trust me, it's not just in Vancouver, but across, you know, across the hockey landscape, people have taken note of, of the Canucks, and now they're back in the playoff chase. See, that was my next question is hearing you say the word playoff chase kind of answers it there a little bit. But as a team that is at 500, I don't think every fan base with their team at 500 is talking about a playoff run. But with what we've seen the Canucks get to that point to get to 500, you know, now just be four points back. I know it's a pretty big logjam in the Western Conference there for the wild card spots or even the Pacific Division really in its own. But you said it like this team is now in a playoff chase. Are you pretty you know, confident in saying that for this Vancouver Canucks team after the changes? Well, I have a lot of work to do. I mean, there's a lot of teams to climb by, and they're going to have to keep playing at a very impressive uh, clip to, to make the playoff uh, a reality. The only thing I'll say is of the four divisions, and people sort of pegged this at the beginning of the year, is, you know, the way I look at the Pacific is you have Vegas, which I think is an elite, elite hockey team, and you have the other teams. And they're good teams, but they're all flawed on some level. And, there's going to be an ability to climb up or, or fall down the standings. You know, do you, you look at what Anaheim's doing, and it's been very impressive, but do I look at them as a team that can't be surpassed in the standings? Uh, you know, Calgary has been very good, um, but are they going to maintain that? Edmonton got off to that incredible start, and now they've come back to the pack. I mean, when you go up and down the, the division, there's just an opportunity for, for all the teams, not just Vancouver, but, you know, L.A. is very much in the conversation as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, it's not like I'm guaranteeing Vancouver's going to make the playoffs, but, you know, I, I think it's different. I think if you're staring down fifth place, let's say, in the Atlantic Division and you're trying to track down Tampa, Florida, Toronto, Boston, let's say, I, I don't think that's an easy thing. I think those are some elite hockey teams, and it, it's, a, it's a much tougher path to, you know, if you're Buffalo right now or, you know, Ottawa or whatever, and you're trying to – climb into a playoff spot in that division it's much tougher i think the pacific's much more wide open now when you joined the show you uh you kind of heard our listeners what they were saying about uh trading jt miller so let's talk about jt miller because he's eighth in nhl scoring and just it doesn't feel like he's getting talked about a lot so i guess my question to you is i guess from an outside perspective what does it look like jt miller's doing to this team and does he have your vote for mvp of this team well, that's a tough one. I, I don't know if he has my vote for MVP because quite quite literally, if, if Thatcher Demko didn't play at the level he was playing at, you know, early on, they wouldn't have got half the points they got even in, early in the season when they were when they were scuffling a bit. Um, yeah. He certainly has been a catalyst. I think, 
you know, he's a guy who drags you into the fight. He's not that different than Brady Kachuk in, in uh, Ottawa, you know, Matthew Kachuk at his best. He's a guy when the team's listless, when there's not a lot of emotion or energy, he is the guy who's ready to rattle cages, get in people's faces, and lead by example. And that's important. And I think that's really helpful, not just as a hockey player, but I'm sure, you know, you're Bo Horvat, um, you know, you're one of the other leaders on this team, and to be able to, to call on, you know, one of your teammates or just know he's there uh, and provides that sort of presence, I think, is invaluable. So, He's, he's everything is advertised. I know Jim Benning took a lot of crap when he traded a first-round pick to get him a few years back. But quite frankly, you know, that deal has been nothing but a, a very strong, strong deal for the Vancouver Canucks. And he is one of those key foundation pieces that you have on a pretty good hockey team. All right, let's go down the trade row. What is the type of value <laughs> for JT Miller as a guy who's eighth in scoring in the NHL? Like, let's say, you know, maybe the Canucks fall off a little bit next year and look to trade him. Maybe don't want to keep him long-term. What type of value would you see from a guy like JT Miller potentially as a rental for somebody next year or even this year as a, a one-year end rental type of player? So he has, a, he has this year and one more year left on his deal, right? Yeah. And what's his, what's the price tag, do you know? 525 I believe. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful contract. Yeah. That's a very team-friendly contract for his contributions and knowing, you know, what an asset he'd be. I don't know. I mean, this is such a hypothetical game. It really depends on the team, right? I mean, if it's a team going for the Stanley Cup and JT Miller's being dangled out there, you know, we've seen what the marketplace for those types of players is. Generally, it's a first and and something else, right? You know, the Leafs went out and got Nick Foligno, who, you know, isn't really even in the same stratosphere at this point um, as as Miller as as far as, you know, the contributions he can make. And, And they surrendered a first around pick um you know it'd be first plus plus i would imagine for something you know jt miller is that type of player i think he can score he can hit he can uh, provide some toughness the guy can floor check he can play special teams you have him out there first shift three of three overtime and he can deliver i mean i know you don't have overtime in or that type of overtime in the playoffs but my point is that's how valuable a player he is on a team so it would be a big ask um and again maybe that's something that the new management will think about if if that's the situation. I think right now their eyes are maybe set on what this team can do this year and can they get to the postseason. So, you know, it'll, it'll depend on the goals, but they, they could get, I imagine, quite a bit on the open market for a player of, of that stature. David Quadrilli alongside Chris Faber, Sportsnet 650. It is Sportsnet today. We are chatting with David Amber of Sportsnet. Now, David, I want to ask you because we've heard the term bubble Demko less and less now. At what point do you think it became apparent that this is this is just Thatcher Demko? This is just the goalie that he is? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think it was a little bit said tongue-in-cheek. I know Anthony Stewart likes to say it a lot. You know, hey, we need bubble Demko tonight for Vancouver. And I think it was just because he was so remarkable and that was so, such a highlighted point of time, right? It was such a strange part of time, middle of the summer, playing playoff hockey with no fans. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of etched everyone's memory. But, yeah, you know what? I mean, that's where we saw that, you know, Jacob Markstrom in some respects was expendable and the future was Thatcher Demko. I mean, he proved himself in that small, uh, you know, time frame, like, wow, this is what this kid's capable of. And now he's just continuing to live up to those heights, uh, you know, lofty expectations. I, You know, he is, he's been sensational. Um, 
I liken it to there was a year where Devin Dubnik, who had struggled and bounced around a bunch of teams, and he had this one incredible run with Devin Dubnik. And, and for, like, the next three years, they were like, oh, remember Devin Dubnik, the struggles he had, and da-da-da-da-da. And, and who is the real Devin Dubnik? And I remember doing an interview with him, and he's like, you know, I'm sort of getting sick of being challenged about, you know, my resume. Like, my resume is what my resume is. Yeah, it took me a while to find my threshold and or fi- find my footing in the league, but now I've crossed that threshold and I'm ready to, to be a, a, a great goalie. And I think Demko's done the same thing. I think I think we see who he is and you, you liken him to the Carter Hearts and the other young up-and-coming uh, great goalies in the game. So, I, I think he's uh, done nothing but sort of solidify his standing as a good top young goalie coming up in this league. And a lot of that credit goes to Ian Clark, the goaltending coach here, who's looked at as kind of a hero here in Vancouver. Is it a similar yeah. feeling with Ian Clark outside of Vancouver as well? You know, I, I think with real hockey heads, people know his resume, know yeah. uh, how he's been able to work with different goalies and, and has been able to, I wouldn't say resurrect careers, but as much as make sure he's getting the most out of out of these high-end goalies, and, and if they have mental struggles, not just the physical struggles, but he can really work on them in their mental preparation for the game. And, you know, all you need to do is hear from the Markstroms and the Demkos, et cetera, and they have nothing but, you know, effusive praise for them. So I think in hockey circles, every team that has strong goaltending sort of, oh, we have this great goalie coach as well. So it has become <laughs> something of uh, an important role. I mean, it's funny. It just, you know, I grew up at a time in the, in the you know, uh, 80s and, and 90s where they didn't talk as much about the goalie coaches and it was sort of you're on this island on your own and the success for a goalie would be just well he's this great goalie uh, but now it, it really does take a team to get the most out of a player and that you can argue in all the sports guys I mean is there a more important role in any sport you know I, I imagine quarterback uh, of a football team you know it's the same idea but you're only going to have the level of success of your goalie you're just not going to find any true level of success NHL without you know, an elite goaltender. So it's so important, and Ian Clark deserves all of the accolades he's getting now. My co-host Quadrelli over here is loving this. We're getting goalie talk here. we got a goalie guest coming up next. He's just loving <laughs> this. I'm not a big goalie guy, so uh, I'll, res- I'll respectfully just let you say your piece there. That was, that was great. That was <laughs> excellent. Uh, bef- oh, before we let you go, yesterday we had a, a conversation about, um, about Christmas socks a little bit. And, like, you always get Christmas socks around Christmas, right? And we were wondering what DA, you're a guy of fashion here. Um, what is the timeline? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, compared to us, yes. Um, but what what I wanted to ask was, what is the timeline for wearing Christmas socks for you? Can you get away with it till New Year's? Is it start of December? Do you get the whole month? Or like at Christmas, do you got to cut it off after Boxing Day? Yeah, listen, I, I we'll give you it till the first, and then let's let's roll in the new year. I, that's what I would say. I'm going to wait. Listen, we're we have our our next hockey night on Saturday, the first, so. Mm-hmm. We will. Uh, I'll be looking at the sock wear, and maybe you know what? I think do we have a Canucks game on Saturday? I think we do, right? You betcha. Down in Seattle. Yeah, we got. Yes, that's right. We got Kraken. You know, uh, we look forward to that, and uh, we'll see if Kevin BX is busting out his, his Bo Horvat socks. So. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I why are you guys wearing Christmas socks? Is that what this is about right now? We were saying like we all got like three or four pairs for Christmas, and it's like you can only wear them for a few days after that. Then you got to pack them away <laughs> for eleven months, right? Uh, I mean, listen. If it's strong, if you want to have strong sock game, you can do it. I suppose. I know that many people have seen my socks, so you know. I don't know how many people have seen your socks, but if they're comfortable and they look good, then you can pull it off. You can you can be the trendsetter. That's what's important. Yeah, I guess not everyone on the panel there has the sock cam like uh, Bxa does over there at Hockey Night. <laughs> uh, right. Da, before right. we let you go, final thing I want to ask. 
Um, it, it, in your on your Twitter page there, a picture of you and Keen Thompson. Uh, I wanted to ask a little bit about that because one of my favorites, uh, you know, being someone who's 27 years old up, uh, I grew up with him on SNL as being one of the consistent uh, persons on Saturday Night Live. What was it like meeting him? Can you maybe tell us a little story about that day? Yeah, it was very cool. It was in Washington. It was during this 2018 Stanley Cup final, and he's a huge Caps fan, big hockey fan, and he was there. It's funny, when you get to the final, like the fans, like the celebrity fans get sort of trotted out and put on the jumbotron <laughs> and everything else. So, you know, Washington had Pat Sajak from Wheel of Fortune, and, you know, they had uh, Keenan Thompson, and he was a great guy. I, it's funny, and I don't do this very often, but he was in the suite next to We had our set sort of set up on a suite area, and he was in the next suite, and I just saw, like, some light on him because they, they put him on the jumbotron. And I said, oh, man, okay, that's cool. And I just went, I said, hey, I'm a big fan. And I actually got it for my son because uh, my son is a huge Keenan Thompson fan. So I said, hey, is there any way I can just take a quick selfie with you? And he's like, ah, sure. And he's like, what do you think, caps in five, caps in six? And it ended up being caps in five. So uh, he, he, had, it was, he was dead on on the prediction as well. But it's always cool. I love when there's that intersection of, uh, you know, Hollywood celebrityism and sports fandom. Um, you know, and it goes both ways. You know, many times I've been at NBA games and you, you get the musicians out there and then you go to a concert and you get the athletes out there. So it goes both ways for sure. And uh, it's pretty cool because I didn't know he was a big hockey fan. And, you know, he was decked out and he had the whole Vetchkin shirt on. He, had, he was all ready to roll. So uh, it was cool to, to be able to sort of meet a guy you see on TV every Saturday. That's pretty awesome. It'd be like someone running into you, D.A. <laughs> much less exciting if you're running in the ice or you'll that. But, uh, but yeah, that was cool. And uh, listen, I just look forward to games being back on. I know there's going to be some schedule snafus uh, looking forward, but just uh, it's nice to be back. I'm really excited for Saturday. And I'm excited for this Canucks run. In a perfect storm, they win tonight and, and they come into our Saturday night game on an eight game winning streak, which would be pretty epic. You called it, Dave. Appreciate uh, you joining yeah. us here. We'll see you on Saturday, man. Appreciate it. Be well, fellas. Happy holidays. Enjoy those socks. <laughs> Will do. Thanks. That's David Amber from Sportsnet. You can catch him on Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday, of course, and uh, during the week as well, Wednesdays on uh, Sportsnet there. And getting a lot of pushback here. The puppet parrots are coming in. Well, um, Drywaller Joe, who sent in the original puppet parrot text, he's, he gave us a definition. Oh, here we go. Nice. Do we want the definition? I'm ready to give the definition. Have you read it over first? I have read it over. There is Drywaller no Joe's words. not doing us bad here? No, Drywaller okay. Joe we, is then we keeping trust, it clean. We trust Drywaller Joe We trust Joe you, now. Drywaller Joe. I'm going to read this. Here it goes. It's, it's a long text, folks. Puppet Parrot listeners explained, people who mimic the vitriol narrative the media feeds them without an original thought or take of their own in a serious conversation about assets... You get for Miller. Oh, you got to use some punctuation here, Drywaller Dave. You're killing me. Oh, you let him down. Maybe the focus should be to add the few parts that Jim let go to get us back to the bubble team that showed what they can do, and they did with what has plainly been revealed as a crappy coach. It's go time right now. Drywaller Joe getting everybody hype. Could use some grammar, some work there on the grammar, he, but he we appreciate it. He had a couple it. commas. Yeah, no, he did, but he, he set you up a little bit there, too. It is a little bit of a long text to not have a period. Um, is that Karn from Surrey uh, texted in? Did this guy compare JT Miller to Nick Felino? I think he said Kachuk, right? Did he not say? No, I don't think he compared him to Nick Felino. I think he, he said Brady Kachuk yeah, in yeah. the same way of 
driving your team into the fight. Yeah, exactly. You know, throwing the team on your back and getting into and that fight with them. to DA's credit, Nick Foligno did do a similar thing. Obviously, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, this guy scores just as much as Nick Foligno. That's Foligno all was brought up say. because of how much of the price that the Leafs paid to get him. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it exactly. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a comparison. Yeah, uh, in a similar yeah. way. Uh, and then, I guess going into your goalie talk here, and on the other side, we're going to be joined by Lachlan Irvin as well, where the goalie talk is going to continue. Heck, Eddie, we might have to uh, we might have to drop a goalie intro into our next segment here. We'll see what happens. Is there such a thing? Unfortunately, there is. I was I stayed up till three in the morning making it, and we never used it. We, so t- today we're going to use it. We even have the Sportsnet voice guy on it. It's it's great. We'll play it on the other side People, of the break. Listen, this is a, a segment kind of from the podcast that you and I do, of course, but. People seem to love the intro. We haven't played it enough on radio in our little bits of doing radio. Normally Saturdays, you can catch us here, getting some fill-in stuff during the week. But uh, Lachlan Irvin's going to join us from Canucks Army on the other side. We're going to chat some more stuff about Demko. One final text I wanted to get. Uh, <laughs> sorry, great text from uh, from Drywaller Joe. <laughs> or maybe this isn't him, actually. This thing, the education is a low spot in the drywall world. That's, that's not tough. from Drywaller hey, Joe. No, that's not from him. Because I used to do drywall up in uh, Grand Prairie a little bit when I started. Well, that was my first or my second job in Grand Prairie was doing drywall and houses that were being built. Because, man, if you're going to a place where houses are being built at the time that I was there in Grand Prairie, the place was booming. Keenan Thompson was on the Mighty Ducks. Another text from Elio in Coquitlam. That's right. That's into the 650 oh, Big hockey fan, yeah. Uh, Bruce Ducks Boudreaux movies. was also in that movie. Bruce Boudreaux was in Mighty she Ducks? He was, yep. I'm like 90% sure. I'm going to Google it now. This but news I'm to me. Pretty sure. Eddie's all over it. He's he's he heard that pipe up and he's saying, I don't think so, quads. So he's gonna get to that. But uh yeah, we're seeing some some trade options for, for JT Miller thrown in here. He was in Slapshot. Slapshot. Not Mighty yes, Ducks. That, that I could see. One of those hockey movies I haven't seen. Right. You haven't seen Slapshot. Neither of them. Ooh, Text Line's gonna get you for that one. That's okay. You haven't seen Mighty Ducks either? Nope. Are you guys allowed allowed back Ooh. on the air after one o'clock after saying that? D- <laughs> hey, listen. I've seen both. Okay. I haven't seen, like, I don't think I've seen, how many Mighty Ducks movies are there? There's Eddie? three. Okay, I've seen two. I haven't seen the third one, then. Yeah, the third one is bad. Third one's bad? Okay, so then probably that's why I haven't seen it. I just, I don't watch a ton of movies. Like, it's just not my thing. I watched one movie last year. Or this year. In 2021, I watched one movie. Which one? Uh, I don't even remember. It was, it was like Adam wow. Sandler, and they went, and it was like some time loop sort of thing. Is that where he went, went back to school? <laughs> no, maybe it wasn't. No, sorry, it wasn't. Uh, and it was Andy Samberg, not Adam Sandler. I always mix up the names, but it was Andy Samberg, and he kept going in this loop with the actual mother from How I Met Your Mother, like the one who actually turned. Uh, out. I forget her name, the actress. But spoilers. I'm no, I mean that's, that's I know, literally the, the point of the movie. But anyways. yeah, I just watched. I just watched Spider Man: No Way Home. That was the only, a great. But movie. then I was told, like, I watched. Um, I watched some of those documentaries. I watched the Danbury Trashers documentary. Those are so movies. That's a movie. I yeah. watched uh, Malice at the Palace documentary so that's a movie you I guess, call so. that a movie see that's what i'm saying I, eddie i'm on the a point. documentary I'm is no. a documentary it's not a movie and yeah, it only, is they're only like 55 it's, minutes a documentary long. is a type of movie it's still a movie it's a feature-length film but no, they're, it's, they're it tells a story though it tells a story yeah i still call it a movie because don't movies also tell stories but they have a plot and they have twists and turns and i wouldn't call a documentary a movie yeah okay you're devoting time to watching a tv program or a production but I think the it falls way, under but... the category of movies. It's not a TV show. If you're talking TV shows or movies, it's a movie. Yeah, because it's not. It doesn't have enough power to be its own thing. Because documentaries, like most, I maybe most of them, I think, would fall under like being ninety plus minutes. To me, like one of those, like I almost want to call it like a feature. Like it would be a TV show. Close, like thinking about the Malice at the Palace. That feels like one of the ESPN features that we would see. I think it's HBO or those type of. Uh, but those are just short films. Anyways. I think. 
I consider those short films. But they're like 45 to 55 minutes. That's not yeah, a... Yeah, so short films. Short I don't think is so. the key word. I don't think that's a short film. I think film. the documentary falls into whatever the time length it is. It doesn't matter. 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 plus. Documentary is a documentary. Yeah, and I got sure. uh, Bryce from Comox telling me Palm Springs is what it's called. Like the Michael Jordan thing last year on Netflix. That's a documentary, whether it's 10 hours yes. or not. Okay, deal. I agree with that. But to me, that was a TV show because all of those were like shorter episodes and there was multiple episodes. That's a TV show to me. If it's just one, it's a movie, I think. It was if, a documentary series. Let's call yeah, it. but if mm. you've got multiple episodes, it's a TV show. That's what I think. I consider that a television so then, so show. So then the shows that I watch because they're all in a series. Those sports documentaries was a series. It wasn't just a one-time thing. So that was a TV show. Okay, so I've seen one movie this year. Riveting, riveting talk here on Sports Sense. All the while documenting a period of time. So it's a documentary. Okay. 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 Eddie's final say on the on the topic there. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh we'll get to uh we'll get to a break here now. And then on the other side, Lachlan Irvin's gonna join us. We're gonna talk some goalies, and I'm gonna get excited for it. I'm gonna get excited for the goalie talk on the other side. Lachlan Irvin and Knox Army joining us here. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Chris Faber and David Quadrelli on Sportsnet 650. Sportsnet Today, Chris Faber, David Quadrelli filling in for Bic Nazar just seconds ahead of being joined by Lachlan Irvin of Canucks Army. We're going to chat a little bit of goaltenders, a little bit of taxi squads, a couple other things about the Vancouver Canucks, as well as 15 minutes away from Don't At Me. So you can start getting your Don't At Me's in right now. I've got a good one today, Quads. I came prepared to the show today with a big old outline for the show, things to talk about, as well as a good Don't At Me. And a good Don't At Me coming up. But before we get there, you want to wrap up this documentary movie, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of reaction on the 650, 650 Dunbar Lumber text line. People are either loving it or hating it. There's there's more people we've, loving we've it and weighing in. We've lost a couple people to funny 1040. <laughs> Don't even start with me. But a, a few people are making some good points. They're saying, like, a documentary film or documentary is a non-fictional motion picture. I'm not even going to read the rest of the text. That's from Shooter, though. It's a good text. A lot of texts about the documentary thing. Some people loving it. Some people hating it. So we're just going to wrap it up. We're not talking documentaries for the rest okay. of the show. Sounds good. Let's no keep more. it Canucks talk for the rest of the show. Yeah. So I've only seen one movie this year. Lachlan Irvin going to join us here in just a minute here from Canucks Army because we're going to talk about the what he's seeing from Thatcher Demko. And I know, Quads, you've you've obviously like your goalie talk a lot as well. And people want me to be more positive about the goalie talk on the inbox. I've noticed a couple of people. So I'm going to try try to try to be try to enjoy it. You know, I spent a lot of time watching the stuff in Abbotsford. So I'm going to ask a few things about what this sets up for with the taxi squads moving forward now because we've seen some additions to the Vancouver Canucks' taxi squad over the past 24 hours, maybe 48 hours, I think. Ashton Sautner, a defenseman, has been added to the taxi squad, left shot defenseman who's been with the Canucks organization for a little bit, as well as Spencer Martin, the guy who was taking away starts from Mikey DiPietro and Archer Silas. But having a really good start to the season for Spencer Martin, and I know Kevin Woodley, who joined us last week before the Christmas break, was saying, like, there might be something there with Spencer Martin. But I think that there's a high potential for both Mikey DiPietro and Archer Seelove. So we'll get to that with Lachlan in just a minute. Yeah, we will. Because we've talked about it a lot. We've talked about Spencer Martin. We've talked about him quite a bit. And we've talked about the goaltending situation in Abbotsford. And we will continue to do so. Could see Halak tonight as well. We'll have to see what happens. We will see Halak. Boudreaux's already confirmed that. Halak is starting tonight. Maybe we'll ask Lachlan about it. Let's bring in Lachlan Irvin of Canucks Army and the Crease Cast podcast. Lachlan, how are you, man? 
I'm doing great, guys. It's uh, happy to be back right before the start of the new year. Uh, things get looking a lot better for the Canucks these days. <laughs> better for the Canucks, worse for the world. But yeah, I mean, we'll take that. <laughs> but um, Lachlan, as uh, as we've seen, we've gone to get into Thatcher Demko with you. Obviously, Crease Cast podcast. I'm sure you're the guy to talk goalies with. Over this seven game stretch with Bruce Boudreaux, we've seen some excellent play from Thatcher Demko in the back of the net. We've kind of touched on it with everybody that we've talked to today that Demko is the MVP of this team. And if you look over this seven-game stretch where Demko has played in six of the games, a 9.58 save percentage and a 1.82 goal saved above average in that stretch. What is it that Thatcher Demko is doing so well right now as he's kind of moving into this new coaching setup with Bruce Boudreaux? Honestly, I would say there's nothing that uh, he wasn't already doing even before Bruce Boudreaux got here. I think that Demko's play this season, more or less, uh, with say for a few outliers against like Colorado and Vegas, uh, has been uh, playing some of like the best hockey of his career. Very consistent uh, play. Uh, his rebound control looks really good. He's been having a much easier time tracking pucks. And right now, I think you're just kind of seeing the defense around him. Uh, kind of open up the lanes a little bit more and let him see the shots a little bit better. And in in a way that is more beneficial to him, especially on things like the PK. Um, I think that Jemko's style, like overall, yeah, he's just looking a lot stronger, like down low. Like there are a couple big saves he had in the later stages. He's just playing like a very confident goaltender these days. And it's kind of a case of, yeah, where uh, earlier in the season, he was playing games that, if the Canucks were playing a little bit better, they would have won. Yeah. Uh, and you could see the frustration uh, from him sometimes where he was having these great games and it wasn't translating into points on the standings. And now uh, you're getting to see the kind of the rebound. And last night, even in that game, he was very, very good throughout, but he didn't even necessarily have to be because the, the forwards and the defense uh, picked up and played one of their best games around him. Absolutely. Before we get any further, we're getting text in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line that we have to play the goalie intro. So, Eddie, why don't you hit that thing real quick? <laughs> I guess we spent half an hour talking about a backup goaltender. All right, get out of here, Woodley. All right. Favor's going to be. Favor's going to be very pissed. So you know I don't like to say bad things about goaltenders. It's time for Goalie Talk. All right, now that that's out of the way, Lachlan... Jarl Halak starting goal tonight. What are you looking for from him? Um, well, first of all, I love the love the intro. The uh, the Black Eyed Peas were one of my go to lessons when I was younger. Um, but yeah, Jarl Halak. Uh, obviously, it took him a while to get his first win, and uh, he's definitely a goaltender that uh, needs a little bit of time. Needs to see a couple extra shots. It takes him a while to kind of get into the game. You saw it against Columbus, where he let in a few early goals and. Uh, it took them a while to get to the playing at a level where they were able to uh, claw back and win that game. And he deserved it by the end of that night. He had had one of his better nights. I think for Halak, this, uh, this layoff isn't really going to affect him all too much simply because of the fact that he was already in a backup role. He's already kind of used to going weeks without playing games. And it's good that this uh, new coaching staff seems to trust him enough to uh, in a situation like this where, okay, the, they're still kind of getting their legs back, albeit they looked pretty good last night. This is the second game of a back-to-back. That it, It's nice to know that they're going to trust him enough to uh, come into this one and uh, put, it, put, together his, put together another effort like he had in the later part of the Columbus game. I'd like to see him play a full 60 minutes and see if he can kind of get 
uh, a little more involved in the play early on. Um, maybe don't play the puck so much. There have definitely been uh, points where he's, uh, you know, the Canucks aren't used to playing with a with very active uh, puck handling goaltenders, and that kind of caught him a, a few times. Um, I just like to see him play a very solid game, kind of focus on making sure that he's just got ha- has his angles down and that he is uh, keeping rebounds in close and he's uh, working on that, that puck control a little bit more. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Chris Faber and David Quadrelli here, joined by Lachlan Irvin of the CreaseCast as well as Canucks Army. And you've got an article up recently on Canucks Army about the taxi squads. So kind of sticking with goaltenders here, Spencer Martin is the guy added to the taxi squad. Is that the right decision, Lachlan? I would say so, yes. I think at the end of the day, you want to get uh, you want to get Mikey DiPietro and Artur Zalovs as many uh, starts in the AHL as they can. And, and, I mean, this year is a little bit different, especially compared to last season where the Canucks AHL team was sitting a, across a border in three, time, in three time zones away, where they couldn't necessarily call guys up to play to, to play at that level to the point where Mike DiPietro only ended up playing about four games in the AHL all season, and that was his entire year. I think this year it's really different because now, obviously, you can bring guys uh, from Abbotsford uh, very quickly if you want to. And it's not going to factor in probably too much uh, in the early going. Maybe Spencer Martin uh, gets an opportunity to sit on the bench, but hopefully, you know, hopefully the goaltenders they've got in Demko and Halak stay healthy. Um, but I think overall right now, the best thing you can for the goaltenders that you've spent as much time developing as DPHO and Silovs is to get them, get them as many games in Abbotsford, let Martin have some opportunities to practice with the NHL squad and, uh, and then go from there. If, uh, if you need an extra, if you need an extra goaltender from your AHL team. Now, Lachlan, something we've been talking about a lot today has been JT Miller, um, I guess, you know, everybody knows it now that he's eighth in scoring in the NHL. It's obviously gone around social media pretty quick. But let's take it back to the first time you saw that JT Miller was in the top 10 of scoring in the NHL. What were your initial thoughts when the first time you saw that? I was thinking, wow, it's, uh, you know, it's it's incredible how far he's come and how uh, much of an impact player he's become. Like, he he led the team in scoring, I think, the last two seasons as well. But this year, it's just kind of him taking it to a different level where he's playing and amongst the, the best players in the NHL is not really something I think any of us expected coming out of that, uh, that trade when it happened uh, three, uh, I guess, three years ago now. Um, I look at this as a, as, a, as a guy who's playing probably like at his the best. He's playing well, like 100% he's playing the best hockey of his career. I, I wonder about how sustainable that is. But... I think when your team is starting to back it up with the wins that they're getting, uh, you can't look a gift horse in the mouth. You've got to just keep taking advantage of his incredible play. You saw it last night with the, the overtime winner. He's able to come up clutch when, when he needs to. And I think you've got to rally around that. And you're seeing guys who maybe had a slower start to the season, like Elias Patterson and Brock Besser, they're picking things up. I think eventually that's going to translate to a, a more scoring throughout the lineup as well as just with JT Miller keeping up the pace that he's going for uh, right now. And now looking at the roster construction that this team has and moving forward here, as I mean, I think after a seven-game win streak, getting back to 500, you're starting to see people talk about playoffs being four points out. What do you think the next move here is for Jim Rutherford? What do you think the next move is as they try and, 
I don't think they want to go all in on being a playoff team, but there are definitely some parts of the roster that can be shifted around with some trades. What type of move do you suspect coming first year uh, under Jim Rutherford as the interim GM? I mean, are, if you're asking me whether or not the Canucks are, should look into trading JT Miller, <laughs> if that's the question that I think you're asking, um, I, I think, look, if you're clear, if you're heading for the playoffs the way the Canucks are, uh, or like, well, at least right now, like if, you're tr- if you end up in the thick of the playoff race, obviously I say, you know, don't trade anybody. Just kind of stay the course. Maybe make a few differences to try and shore up your defense if you can. But overall, don't make any long-term bets on what the team has looked like out of this run. But if they, the way things have looked with management and the fact that they're willing to kind of like take their time with this group and that they're not going to let uh, a winning streak dictate how good they, they feel the team is, they want to they get a full good sample size of what they are before making any decisions mm-hmm. and the Canucks end up leveling off a little bit later on which I think is likely I think they'll end up kind of more in that middle in that middle pack like they were supposed to be at the start of the year I think maybe you start looking into you look at what's out there you look at the offers because uh you know in the last however many years one of the big things that the Canucks have really struggled with under pre- under the previous management team was letting assets who were at their prime uh, depreciate in value, not trading them at a time that they probably should have when they were already out of the playoff race and lose and eventually losing that value altogether when they walk for nothing later in free agency or in some other fashion. And if you're Vancouver, I think you've got to kind of look at the idea of, okay, our cupboard's a little bit bare, especially with prospects and draft picks who can really come in and make a difference later on. We didn't expect our team to be, as good as uh, right out of the gate as they were when we made the management change. I say you got to stay the course on that kind of thinking and, and figure out what's going to be best for next season. Because at this point you're playing with house money. You're already going to have a year where uh, after the start you had, it's going to, you're, it's, it's pretty hard to not look at the turnaround as a success, regardless of whether they make the playoffs or not. I think you got to look for, look at next year, get a head start on what you're on, what, you want next year's team to be, which is most likely closer, much closer to a playoff team. And if that involves trading a guy for high value, like JT Miller, to try and bring in some assets that are going to help you next season, that's something you should definitely be looking into if you're Jim Rutherford. Yeah, because I think the difference would be going for Stanley Cup versus going for playoffs. And, you know, we all love to be in the playoffs, but Above the, all that, we'd love to see a Stanley Cup more than anything. And we got a, a text here from Gary in North Shore, all caps, as he sends this text in. Trade a forward for defense, which I think a lot of people are on board for. Final thing I got to throw by you, Lachlan. We've had this argument, and then Quad said he was putting it to rest, but you're a movie guy, so I got to get this to you. Is a 50-minute documentary, is that a movie or not a movie? I would say... It's not a movie because I've always looked at, here's the thing. I always feel like there's a difference between like a movie and a film. Like they're, they technically mean the same thing, but I've always kind of treated them like they're two different things. Like a movie is something you go for, for entertainment. It's got, you know, the big names, still A-list celebrities doing mm. act, doing acting. It's got explosions. It's got like, it's, it's that sort of thing. Whereas like a film is much more of like a, an art style thing. It's much more of a, um, it's much more there's there's a very specific meaning behind those those films and that's why those those are different from what just go from what say going to see the avengers or something um and i would say a documentary is more in line with a film 50 minutes 
uh, is probably, I, you know, that's probably more in line, honestly, with like a TV special kind of thing. Cause you know, I could, cause like ESPN 30 for 30s, those are usually yeah. around like the 50 minute mark. And those are obviously going on television. They're not going to the movie theater. So I feel, I feel like it really does. It a it depends on the time. So 50 minutes. Yeah. That would be in the TV range more so. Uh, and then if a documentary goes anything past that, past into that like 90 minute range, that, that fits closer to a film than anything else. Oh God. Now you threw film in here and made this even more complicated as we were just trying we're to figure done. out. We're done with this conversation. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No more of this conversation, but Lachlan, we appreciate this conversation that we've had with you. Maybe not the last minute or so <laughs> you just complicated everything even more, but, uh, appreciate you jumping it's on here, man. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much. And we'll look forward to, uh, your next article on Canucks army as well. Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Absolutely. Lachlan Irvin of the Creasecast and Canucks Army. Yeah, we're dropping we're, we're dropping done. the documentary talk there. Uh, we're just seconds away from Don't At Me here, which we'll get to in just a minute as we got to hit that 120, you know, because Bick's always late. He's always late on the on the 120 for Don't At Me. We're going to nail it. We're going to nail it at 120 here today. I've got a good one, so make sure you get your texts in as well to get uh, your Don't At Me heard as we'll get to it uh you know what? Let's get to it right now, Eddie. Why don't you hit that intro? Don't at me here on Sportsnet 650. Your takes uninterrupted. Don't at me. Text in your submissions to 650 650. Don't at me. I said, Don't at me. We do it every day at 120, which is 3, 2, 1, right now on Sportsnet 650. Quads, I've got my Don't at me, and I saw this last night. Retweeted it this morning. Miles Turner pulling up in a Darth Vader outfit in pregame is the best pregame outfit I've ever seen an athlete pull off. Don't at me on that. No, I'm not going to. I think that's a good take. The fact that he is like, I don't know how tall. I think Miles Turner is about, what is he, probably 6'8", 6'8", 6'9". Nice. He's got two stormtroopers in front of him that are much shorter than him. Probably still good-sized guys, but... Coming in as just this monster of a man in a Darth Vader costume. That's got to be a custom-made Darth Vader costume, I'd have to think. They don't just have, have to think, yeah. six foot nine. The one size fits all. Yeah, Doesn't that's not going to fit, fit for that one. But if you haven't seen it, I got it retweeted up uh, at ChrisFaber39. I think it's the best costume I've ever seen a player of any sport show up into. Pretty I'd bold. love to hear in the in the inbox if there's another better one. When did you wear that? Yesterday, going Pretty into the game. Pretty bold to do that Pacers. in December. Very bold. I really like it. Yeah, I think Indiana's pretty cold normally, too. Might have been on the road. My don't at me. Cucks are going to have three players at the All-Star game, and literally I had this in my head. Someone texted it in, like, right right before we started the segment. And this is what the text said. It's unsigned, but I'll still read it. Get in your don't at me, folks. The 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. The take is, I believe Demko is the most important piece to the Canucks, but when you have Miller and then you have Hughes doing what he's doing, all three... Could be all-stars this year. Very possible. Definitely. I mean, which one of the three is the least to be an all-star? Least likely to be an all-star? Maybe Demko, actually. And I, the only reason I say that is because I think John Gibson might get the recency bias, and he might he might get in. Really? Because usually dead. they only carry one, one goalie from each division, mm. if I'm remembering that correctly. And I think John Gibson is going to get the spot over Demko because each team has to have one representative. But Anaheim's going to have Troy Terry. Troy Terry's got to be at the All-Star game, right? With the season he's putting together, yeah, 18 goals so. on the season. 
So maybe there's a chance. Maybe there's a chance. But I think JT Miller is basically a lock to make the All-Star game. And how can you not have Quinn Hughes there either? Yeah, I agree with that too. Could be interesting to see three guys, especially from how this team started the season, the first 25 games, to think that they have three All-Stars there. I wouldn't have thought that after 25. But here we are at 32. Thinking that's a possibility. Eddie, you got uh, you got a donut at me? Yeah, I was thinking about this last night when I was watching the game. John Gibson is becoming the modern-day Ryan Miller of the NHL. Just a it's NHL goaltender, an American who is quietly, just quietly underrated but excellent. And when everything is all said and done, he's probably going to play a long career well into his late 30s and put up excellent, excellent numbers. Wouldn't be surprised if he's surpasses 400 career wins but when you look back at the body of work like John Gibson had an excellent career Ryan Miller had a wonderful career Miller was even really good in Vancouver I yes. think a lot of fans will say that and admit that even in those dark years he saved them from being really bad he saved them from getting like first overall draft picks yes which you know a lot of, a lot of fans might not be super huge fans of that but regardless he was good he was very good text in from Ryan to the 650 Dunbar Lumber text line don't at me trading JT Miller would be the worst decision this franchise could make. I agree. I, I said that earlier in the show. I think that'd be the stupidest thing this organization could do. At and this point, yeah. I think that's why the organization doesn't want to, and it's just some texters texting in and suggesting that. Next text, don't at me. First of all, it says, great show. Miller will be traded in January. Don't <laughs> at me. The literal next text. That from Gary in the North Shore. Appreciate the text. See, like, people could see it from either side you're very much on the side of not doing it but but I'm willing to listen I am willing to listen yeah I think you have to listen at any point no matter where you are in a cycle of, of your team being competitive you always need to listen for a trade because there's always you know like I just especially now maybe with Jim Benning I wouldn't feel as great at listening to everything but I think there has to be a different look with Jim Rutherford at the helm and whoever he's going to bring in to be the general manager you got to listen with Jim Rutherford as the GM currently right now. As the interim GM, but still going to make trades if they present themselves. You just trust in a guy like that, right? Don't at me. Mott gets a second rounder. Unsigned text. Good take or no? I think there's a chance you have to actually see the value at the deadline. You have to see what it is. Because again, David Amber was on the show earlier. Look what Felino got traded for. Right? It's not going to be that kind of haul. No. But, but a second rounder for Mott, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. And you know what? People are trading for Tyler Mott to go on a playoff run with them. Tyler Mott had an excellent playoff run with the Vancouver Canucks wearing the bubble. Remember all the goals he was scoring? Mott Girl Summer was born. Connor Bedard's favorite Canuck. This is also true. Maybe that helps, uh, you know, helps you down the road. Maybe you can get uh, Connor Bedard to come in there. Don't at me. Troy Stetcher should still be a Canuck. That right side could use him. That from Nick from Richmond. Good take. I think it's a good take. I would I would much rather have Troy Stetcher on his current contract back to than back Tucker texts, Pullman. Uh, about Troy Stetcher as well. Miller saved Troy Stetcher from Matt Martin. People don't forget. That was a great moment. Great moment in Canucks history. That's a good drop that we need, I think, moving forward, Eddie. The people don't forget from Superbad. I don't know how we don't have that on the uh, on the board yet. It might even actually be on the uh, the board. But that's a good little drop. This is a really hot take from our, our friend Dan in Fort St. John. Don't at me. Miller will be a Canuck longer than Horvat. That is a bold take. Mr. Canuck himself, who's got a head start on Miller of about three or four years. That's a hot take. We're not going to add him, though. Don't at me. A lot of Miller talk uh, as we get into Donam here. I think we're going to be getting a lot of calls about JT Miller up until the trade deadline. 
and I think Rutherford makes a deal. That's don't at me unsigned text. I don't think if the Canucks are still winning like this that a deal's being made. I don't think so. Winning like this, right? We talked about it. Looks like they need to go something like 29, 15, and 6 to finish the season. Some sort of record like that. If they're not winning like that, do you consider it? If they're still winning, like staying above 500, but not winning at that rate, can you do it this season at the deadline? You can, but I don't think you should. I still think training him is not a good idea unless this team is launching themselves into another rebuild or a little bit of a retool, if you will. Right? If they're not going to make the playoffs and it's becoming apparent that the hill is just too steep, they can't climb it, they're going to have to punt on this season, I, I then entertain the idea at least. Yeah. I think uh, I think this is the – we're going to wrap up with this. This will be a final don't at me from Colin and Richmond. Don't at me, but trading Miller now would be better than losing him for nothing in free agency. Absolutely nailed it, Colin. That is – that's kind of the, the ultimate result. The thing is, though, like to Colin's point, he's correct. Trading him now would be better than losing him for nothing. But there's also a very possible trade window for Miller that's open now until the next trade deadline where you're getting a lot in return. I think you still get a lot next year. I'm curious, like, this is a debate that I've heard a lot, and I've heard both both sides of it. I'm not really sure which side I feel on it. Is there more value right now getting him for this year and next year or just next year as a rental? Like, where's more value, do you think? This year and next year. Like, a good amount more value? Because I don't the think thing, it's that much more. The thing that puts a wrinkle in all of this is, depending what the market looks like next season, and there's just no way to project or predict or actually know what it's going to look like next year, depending what the market looks like next year, if Miller's the best player on the market by a lot, the Canucks can give themselves a bidding war, right? Who's going to offer up the most for this player? That's a good position to be in if you're in the Canucks. I still don't think they should trade him, though. We'll sneak in a quick one here from Richard and Robson. Besser is the odd man out. Don't at me. I think he's talking about contract situations here. Yeah, because everybody's talking about losing Miller in free agency. But folks, you don't, by law, have to run out of time to re-sign guys. Like, you're allowed to sign guys that become unrestricted free agents. You're allowed to re-sign them. There's a new gym in town. You don't have to run out of time on anything. There's a new gym in town, exactly. But uh, very possible with Richard and Robson. But especially if this, we've, you know, Sat's been reporting it for a while, how much this organization loves JT Miller. Haven't heard a report about how much this organization loves Brock Besser. I've heard it from the fan base a lot. Heard it from a lot of people looking at Brock Besser's play over the past couple weeks. But I haven't heard the same reports about how much the organization loves the player on Brock Besser as much as we've heard about JT Miller. Someone making the point, taking Stetcher back, are you completely nuts? He can't make the lineup in Detroit. Unsigned text, Stetcher's injured. He's, it's not, he's not a healthy scratch. And even if he is for some games, which he has been because he's been banged up, I'm still taking Stetcher on his contract. Over Tucker Pullman on his contract, no question. Tell you what, that uh, don't at me. Pairings that pairing of the future in Detroit, Moritz Sider, Simone Edvinson, seeing what Edvinson was looking like at this World Juniors here. Woo! See what happens. But uh, we'll wrap things up there. That's it for don't at me here, uh, as we ran a little bit long. But we'll get to Harmon Dial on the other side, as well as Canucks top prospect, Aiden McDonough, joining the show at. 2.30, so we'll get to all that and more. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Chris Faber and David Quadrelli filling in for Big Nazar on Sportsnet 650. Sportsnet Today, Chris Faber, David Quadrelli filling in for Big Nazar. Little Jack Harlow coming back there. Eddie, by request, well done. Gotta listen to the host, gotta listen to the talent. Listen to the talent. The talent we were listening to for this intro here was actually Harmon Dial. 
Really? Who will be joining us now. Harm, coming in with a little Jack Harlow. You appreciate that? Yeah, no, definitely. I'm uh, I'm a big Jack Harlow guy, so pretty sweet intro there. I wonder if we should just run it the whole time. The whole, uh, whole interview, Eddie? You well, can get Harman that in talks. loops. <laughs> just turn it up when Quads talks and we'll be all right. Wow. Uh, Harm, big win last night. Comeback victory for the Vancouver Canucks. Make it seven in a row. Had a good game from JT Miller. Good game from Niels Huglander. Connor Garland. Which guy stuck out to you as the uh, the Canucks' best player last night? Oh, man, that's tough. I think for me, Garland definitely leaps out um, off the page. And I know the production didn't necessarily show it. but um, and, and honestly, I think there were a few of Vancouver's top forwards that could have earned that distinction. Obviously, um, Miller came through clutch there with the OT winner. And I thought his line uh, with him and Pearson in particular um, did a really good job of creating chances all game. I thought Horvat was really unlucky not to have. Uh, multiple goals as uh, as well, and and I think uh, even beyond that, uh, the third piece on on their line, Jason Dickinson, I thought he quietly had a really really strong game. Just to highlight someone that um, I don't think he was Vancouver's best forward by any stretch of the imagination uh, the other night, but someone who kind of flew under the radar that I was really impressed with on the wing there. Um, he was able to kind of consistently disrupt plays with the stick defensively. Uh, and honestly, I thought he was really unlucky not to have uh, picked up an assist on uh, some of those chances that um, that he set Horvat up for. I mean, there was that one rebound opportunity, um, I believe it was in the second period, where he basically teed up Horvat for a tap-in, and he, Horvat just couldn't pull the trigger. Good late defensive stick by Kevin Shattenkirk there, but um, I thought Dickinson was really effective and was w- w- did a good job of supporting uh, Horvat and Hoglander, and um, of course, though, if you talk about the best forward, I, again, I just I just think didn't necessarily get the goal there, but Garland was just all over the ice, disrupting plays, using his uh, strong anticipation to jump into passing lanes uh, to cause havoc. And I think that's really just going to benefit even someone like Elias Pettersson as he tries to kind of find his footing again because um, Pettersson now doesn't necessarily have the pressure of, of he's got to drive a line on his own when he has someone like Garland going as well as he has been. And um, especially when you have another complimentary piece like Pod Coles on, on that line, uh, it works really well because Pod Coles and is, I think his best trait so far is his ability to kind of find open ice and, and find soft spots. And that combination just seems to be working really well. So I think top to bottom Vancouver's entire top nine, um, was outstanding the, the other night. And if it wasn't for John Gibson, the, the Canucks should have had a lot more um, than uh, than two goals there. Harmon, you already know I'm going to ask you about him. Tyler Myers. Here we go. Big game for Tyler Myers yesterday. He's had a pretty good season so far. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, he's been, uh, he's been solid. And I think he's, you know, going back and showing the, the kind of form that he did in his first season as a Canuck, right, where... Um, he was this sort of solid number four who is able to help in transition, improve the pace of your uh, pace of your team's play. Um, solid puck mover, he loves to jump up in the rush, and I think he's been able to sort of just spread his wings under Boudreaux. I think with with Green with Green, and, and you sort of contrast the difference. I think he was effective either way, but he sort of found a way to be. Um, effective in, in, in a different sense, where I think through the first 25 games uh, with Green, what stood out about Myers was, okay, here he is sort of 
maybe simplifying his game a little bit uh, and sort of calming his game down and and with OEL, he didn't necessarily have to drive that pair anymore. And it was more of a reserve calculated Tyler Myers. And then now with Boudreaux, um, and again, with Green, he was still playing, I think, pretty effective two-way hockey. But now Boudreaux comes into the fold and there's this mandate about let's be aggressive, let's push the pace of play. And I think Myers has been able to kind of spread his wings and be more aggressive individually and start to sort of jump up in the rush more often. And um, we've seen him, I think, activate up on the rush a lot more. And the key there is he, the reason he's been able to excel um, playing that style, I think, is because he sort of limited the defensive mistakes in terms of, I think, back to last season when he struggled defensively, it would be because he would make, say, ill-timed pinches or bad reads and sort of pull himself out of, uh, pull himself out of uh, defensive positioning. And that's just not happening as much this season. He's been able to sort of um, cut down on those, regardless of whether he's been playing more conservative like he was under Green or whether he's been more aggressive under Boudreaux. So um, especially with the state of Vancouver's right side defense, we all sort of know that they sort of lack high-end options. So Myers has been an absolute workhorse for them um, and sort of stepping up uh, on a blue line that really needs someone on the right side to be a leader for them. So that goal doesn't happen in overtime without Myers falling down in the neutral zone, right, Harm? Oh, of course it doesn't. And I love that it was Claude's um, sort of, sort of bringing that up, and it's it, it sort of, it, it's actually pretty funny now. Now that I sort of think back to even the even the moments where Myers has sort of made um, mistakes, because I mean, inevitably he is going to because he's mad, he's playing so often with the puck on a stick, um, but so often it actually leads to um, indirectly somehow leads to whether it's a highlight reel Demko save or there you go. in this instance a, a, a Miller uh, OT winner. So. Um, he, as, uh, as our friend Y would say, he's an agent of chaos, um, and he's mostly winded up on uh, the good side of the ledger so far this season. Honestly, excellent takes, Harmon. I, that's, I, I think we could close it out there. No? Just play Jack, <laughs> play a Jack Harlow song. Play Jack Harlow, close the, it out. Tyler Harms Myers is no, elite, before, says Harmon. Harmon, we had a conversation a little earlier about, would the Canucks maybe have three all-star, three players at the all-star game right now? Um, we're looking at JT Miller, we're looking at Quinn Hughes, we're looking at Thatcher Demko. Of the three... Which one do you think would be, I guess, the least likely to make that team? And as a kicker here, as Quads is mouthing words to me, is Tyler Myers in the conversation, <laughs> which I'm kind of kidding about here. But out of the three there, um, with Miller, Hughes, and Demko, which is the least likely to be an all-star this year? Ooh, that's, uh, that's a good question. I haven't looked too far deep into sort of the all-star voting, mostly because um, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. I just... <laughs> Don't tend to you can care say too it, Harm, you don't care. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, off the top of my head, I, I think let's work backwards, right? I think Hughes is probably, in my eyes, he's got to be a lock, right? Um, I think he's fourth uh, among NHL defensemen um, in points now. I think he overtook Kale McCarr um, after, uh, after his assist last night. And you combine the, the point production with the, with the resurgent two-way game, um, and to me, he's he's a no-brainer. I think after that, um, it's tough because I, you know Miller and Demko both have pretty strong, I think, cases as well. Um, Miller obviously is top ten in NHL scoring, right? And that tends to be um, pretty important, especially when you consider the shift that he's had to center, playing the premium position. I wonder if he may have more sort of competition though um, at center, and I and I don't know how 
Um, the all-star game sort of voting works um, in terms of whether they weigh center versus wing and what Miller's listed at. Um, so I wonder about that element. Uh, the other factor, Thatcher Demko, was he even originally, I'm, try, I'm trying to think back, is he on the ballot itself? That's a good question, actually, that we should know. <laughs> Quads, you know? Because that's one thing. I, I can't remember if I'm 100% certain on it, but I think there was some like early grumbling about him potentially not being on it. So, um, well, yeah, I, I don't, I don't even know if Demko's on on the ballot. I, and that's why I was saying, like, I, I wonder. I probably should have looked that up if I knew yeah, we were well, talking about this. Beforehand. I think, I think when we were kind of talking about it, the thing that I mentioned was John Gibson's there at the game for sure. I think, and there's two goalies from each division there. I think Jacob Markstrom's got Thatcher Demko beat out for the job. Yeah, at the All Star game, yeah. I think Jacob Markstrom's got to be there. Yeah, no, for sure. And especially Markstrom's obviously got um, a big advantage in terms of, well, his team itself is, you know, Calgary's been really strong this season. And not that, you know, Demko Demko is probably the last reason that that the Canucks have sort of gotten off to the uh, type of middling start that they have so far this season. But still, I mean, voters kind of, um, can sometimes look at well, oh, well, look at look at what Markstrom's done, and he's got some of the more sexier shutout numbers. So, yeah, I think I think it's it's pretty reasonable to think, and and that's what my initial inclination was, right? Because with Miller, at least again, he's top ten in NHL scoring, and and that's kind of sort of, and that's a, a pretty sort of tough thing to overlook. Um, whereas I think any goalie that is playing um, for behind I think a little bit more of a chaotic defensive environment and I know Vancouver has sort of tightened up defensively uh, but I even think back to for instance the P- the PK and um, sort of how that's probably tanked for instance the save percentage um, I just don't think traditional goalie stats often do a good enough job of reflecting a goalie's true sort of ability level like I think Demko was like what like a 919 um, before last night's game. And when I think back to how well Demko's played, he's been, in, in my eyes, he's been better than a 919 goalie. And, and even when you go back to when Markstrom played here, when you would often look at the sort of adjusted um, goaltending metrics that sort of account for the defensive environment in front of him, um, Markstrom, he would rank near the top among the NHL's top three, three to five goaltenders in his last couple seasons in Vancouver. But when you would look at his save percentage, just raw, um, he wouldn't be among the league leaders. He would only be modestly above average. And I think that just sort of when when people vote for All-Star Game, I think a lot of times they tend to look at things like save percentage. So I think Demko may be a victim of, um, you know, not being on uh, a contender um, like Calgary and therefore his traditional goaltending stats that people will sort of base their voting decisions on, I don't think they'll reflect as favorably as he's actually played because, as we all know, Demko's been an absolute rock. So um, I tend to agree with you guys. I think Hughes and Miller, in my eyes, are, are probably more likely to, to make the All-Star. Yeah, I got a text in here from Torgy saying, yeah, Hughes and Miller are absolute locks. Um, and to vote for Demko, he is not on the ballot, but you can write in vote for him very easily. So... Maybe uh, that's a call to Canucks fans to, to head out there and vote for him. One guy I want to ask about before we wrap up with you, Harm, 
Brad Hunt yesterday comes into the game. His five-on-five ice time looked uh, looked excellent. I mean, he was on the ice for 10 shots, four only one against. Uh, the one against just happened to be the only goal that the Ducks scored in that game. But there was a moment where the second power play unit took to the ice, and Ekman Larson made a pass across to Brad Hunt, who absolutely wired it into John Gibson and actually left Gibson down on the ice for a few extra seconds. And I saw that shot get taken off by by Hunt, and I was thinking, oh, maybe there is a good reason why this guy's getting time on the second power play, and it kind of shocked me a little bit. What did you think of his game yesterday? Yeah, I thought Hunt um, was pretty solid overall. Um, I'd have to watch back the, the goal against to see, um, you know, that that um, that goal that Anaheim had to, to sort of figure out, okay, was it how, how much of that should have been Pullman um, perhaps pinching in the wrong moment versus should have, should Hunt have tracked his guy down better. So I'll have to sort of watch that back and, and see how I feel about that goal against. But uh, aside from that, I thought he was pretty solid overall in the puck well. And as you kind of mentioned, um, we know that he has an absolute laser on, uh, on, on, the, on the power play. And that's why he's had sort of that experience playing in Minnesota um, on the man advantage. Even going back to his time in Vegas, he'd get those power play reps now, overall, I think from a grander sort of big picture perspective, I usually tend not to like the idea of having three forwards and two defensemen on a power play unit. Um, and the reason I say that is because um, when I think back to say, well, first of all, the, the sort of research shows that um, a four forward 1D setup is almost always, um, or at least on average, has o- almost always been superior in terms of goal output. But also when I think back to say, Hunt's position is on sort of that one-timer side on the half wall. Um, when I think back to the best sort of defend, uh, defenseman sort of shooter um, over the last handful of years, it would be Shea, Shea Weber, right? And they sort of tried Weber in Montreal's power play did on the Ovechkin spot as a right shot there. And for whatever reason, it just didn't work. And, you know, I don't know what it is, but it, it just seems like my, my thought process is if Shea Weber couldn't really work on the flank, then yeah. I think it's sort of tough to see uh, a defenseman work on the flank long term. Now, and having said that, second unit I thought was dangerous, and I like the look of it. So I definitely continue rolling with it now that you've sort of experimented with that look. And again, a hunt was dangerous in that spot, so I'd, I'd keep it rolling there. Um, I just don't know long term if that's something I'd uh, I'd stick with. But um, I mean, again, they they generated chances though, and. Hunt seemed effective there, so I I say you keep rolling with that until they stop generating chances. Keep rolling on to eight wins tonight. We'll see the, the Canucks face off against the LA Kings and uh, look to make it eight in a row. Harm, thanks for uh, joining us here, man. Enjoy uh, enjoy the rest of your day, and I guess we'll be, I don't know, are, we, are you coming by to record the pod tomorrow or what? New Year's Eve? Yeah, sure. Cool. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Huh. Awesome. Thanks, Harvey. Cheers, boys. <laughs> That's Harvey Dial of the Athletic Vancouver uh, joining us there as we do a quick little uh, scheduling update to uh, <laughs> for the podcast on air. Probably shouldn't do that. Uh, but uh, big ups to uh, Harm joining us there. Some interesting points. On the other side, Quads, I want to get into this um, a little bit because we got the news just coming down now from the Vancouver Canucks uh, kind of right before Harm hopped on there that Justin Dowling, has now entered a COVID protocol as well. So the Canucks have 14 forwards on their active roster. They have three forwards in COVID protocol with Phil DiGiuseppe, Brock Besser, and Justin Dowling. All into protocol. That means they have 11 forwards remaining on their active roster. 
no call to Abbotsford, as we know of just yet. We're not going to see Danila Klimovic make his NHL debut tonight. <laughs> the reason, uh, To speak to that with Abbotsford, I heard that just over like the next couple of days here, and kind of starting yesterday, today, and tomorrow, are the days where the players are actually going to start returning to Abbotsford, uh, from what I heard. Uh, so they're not even in Abbotsford yet. So it would be kind of, you know, maybe you hope that maybe someone went to Cali for uh, one of the forwards. Maybe Klimovich went, maybe he liked that little Cali road trip and he is staying down there. Maybe he's getting the call, quick little shot in the lineup. But uh, we'll touch on who what we think is going to happen to the Canucks lineup on the other side a little bit. But uh, that is the latest news about COVID. I mean, it's better news than yesterday than what we had to deal with. Yeah, with the someone... World Juniors being canceled and two players going in protocol for the Canucks. Someone texted in earlier and said, this is not a joke, guys. Or maybe they said this is a joke. But regardless, they said, what's today's bad news? Like, what, is there bad news today? And I, at the time, I said, no, and hopefully there's nothing else. Because yesterday, we got hit with three pieces of bad news back to back to back. Yeah, all on the show. For for what we've seen today with only one player going to protocol, that's pretty good for a show that you and I normally host here on Sports at 650. Normally, a lot more bad news comes down. We got another hour to go still. So, a lot of time for bad news to happen. Maybe the crypto world will crash and the crypto.com arena is not going to be able to uh, to host the game tonight. Maybe that'll happen. Is that a possibility? No, it's not a possibility. Sean from Waterloo texted into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line and said, could Markstrom and Demko reunite at the All-Star game? Absolutely. That'd be fun. Uh, if I'm voting, and I know I'm a little biased here, but I'm saying Markstrom and Demko are the two goalies. I do think it's going to be Markstrom and Gibson, but I'd, I'd vote for Demko. So as we kind of said earlier... Demko is not on the ballot. You have to do him as a write-in vote. So, Canucks fans, that's the that's a call to you. I just saw how easy it was as I was checking into the ballot. Boom, scroll down to the bottom, hit Demko, click it up, get him uh, get him a vote. Uh, as well as we got another text from Shooter Tutor Tyler, which is going to be how I'm going to warm up to to every show now. I'm coming out of the break. Shooter Tutor Tyler. Shooter Tutor Tyler. I'm going to say that five times before he hit the air. Um, he says, three goalie talks in a row. What a day to be alive, and I'm being serious. So Tyler, he's appreciating the goalie talk. And you know what? you got to spend some time talking about the goalies when they're playing as good as Thatcher Demko is. We're going to see um, – so we did see uh, Bruce Boudreau announce that Yaroslav Halak is going to be in net today uh, against the LA Kings. We're going to get to some more things on the other side from Boudreau. I want to touch on that mask a little bit. You saw the mask yesterday, right? The Christmas mask? I did. Thought that was great. Very nice. I was mask. thinking, could you imagine seeing Travis Green come out in that Christmas mask? I can't. I can imagine a black mask. <laughs> we'll get to uh, we'll get to some audio from Boudreaux talking about why he wore that Christmas mask yesterday. But uh, we'll do that all on the other side, as well as Vancouver Canucks' top prospect, in my eyes, Aiden McDonough is going to join the show at two thirty from Northeastern. The big winger. I think we're gonna have to ask him. Is he thinking about signing at the end of the year? We gotta ask him, right? It's it's routine. It's the we tough have question. To ask him. But we got to hit him with it. I don't think we'll get an answer out of him. But we're going to try anyways. Uh, so Aiden McDonough is going to join us at 2.30. On the other side, we're going to talk a little bit more about Boudreaux. Get you all set for the game tonight as the Canucks play back-to-back games in Cali. Tonight against the LA Kings after a big win yesterday. A comeback win with an overtime goal from JT Miller. We'll get into all of it. Talk about the mask a little bit from Boudreaux and some other things that Boudreaux had to say yesterday in the post game. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Chris Faber and David Quadrelli on Sportsnet 650. Sportsnet today, Chris Faber, David Quadrelli, filling in for Big Nazar. Nice. Nice tune, Eddie. Give me some good vibes here. I like this. Well, Smith and Myers, bad at love. Okay. Really vibing out here. I like that. 
Eddie Gregory, spinning tracks, ones and twos, producing all that stuff. Here we go. Let it run. Am I introducing you to something here? Let it, let it run. Yeah, you are. Alright. Alright, come on. Let's go. Sorry, it's a good track. It really hitting the spots. I hope the text uh, inbox is appreciating that. You can hit us up there. Uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So hit us up there, 650-650. I want to touch on, uh, just before we get back to uh, some Canucks talk, that mask yesterday, Bruce Boudreaux, still staying in the Christmas spirit. Appreciated that guy having a little bit of fun. I'll tell you, man, like, the overall vibe about like doing media with Bruce Boudreaux, just everything involved with him is so much more fun. And uh, Boudreaux told us why he wore that Christmas mask yesterday, if he was trying to stay in the spirit, if he was still just trying to keep Christmas alive. Uh, but this is what he had to say. The only one my wife gave me, so I have to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> as honest as he can get. Uh, that's great. Brought, sends him on a California road trip with one mask. That's, that's all you need. Yeah. One Christmas mask is all you need. Very true. So uh, that was the answer behind uh, seeing social media have some fun with uh, Boudreaux wearing that mask yesterday. It was the Christmas uh, Christmas theme on it. Um, I want to get to another player that we haven't really touched on a lot today, um, but led the Vancouver Canucks in scoring chances yesterday with seven individual scoring chances, but only played 12 minutes of ice time. Niels Huglander, Really dynamic when he was on the ice today, but I do find the 12 minutes kind of interesting. He's a guy who was starting to get more minutes under Travis Green, but under Bruce Boudreaux, not seeing a ton of power play time. Didn't get any yesterday. Um, Not a guy who's out there killing penalties. So we see his minutes sit at 12 for the whole game, even though he led the team in scoring chances and had six shots on net during those 12 minutes. Just Looked like a strong performance from Niels Huglander once again, who I think has been one of the better forwards all season long for the Vancouver Canucks this year. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you. Again, six of those shots actually getting on net, and like you pointed out, seven scoring chances. That's good to see from Niels Huglander. I think not to shift the conversation away from Huglander, but it's what we would like to see from Elias Pettersson. Yeah, right. Very true. It's just getting those chances off, getting shots on net. Don't worry. Don't wait for the perfect shot. Just start shooting, right? Because right now, this team is missing Brock Besser. And that's going to hurt them. Whether you like it or not, that's going to hurt them. It seems like that's just kind of the new way of looking at how the Canucks attack is shooting from all angles, shooting the puck even more. I think the only guy that didn't really get the message was Alex Chase on yesterday, making a couple of uh, spots where he probably could have taken a shot and had a really good scoring chance, but instead passes it into the opponent's skates or stick or something like that. But... Aside from Jason, it felt like the team was running hot again and getting a lot of shots towards the net, except for another guy, as you brought up here, Elias Pettersson. Uh, once again, not a lot, uh, just not not creating like we've seen in the past, right? Like, that's the problem. And I think one out of 14 in the face-off circle for Elias Pettersson, but it just it doesn't feel like the danger is back just yet. As much as people want to hope and say that things are turning around, it's just not simply there yet with Pettersson. But it, it feels like it's coming. He wasn't bad, but he also wasn't great. I would say he's somewhere between average and good in that game against Anaheim. I think he was okay. I'm not going to go out and say he had a bad game, because he did. He created some some offense, and he created some chances for his line mates, Vasily Podkolzin and Connor Garland. 
looked good out there overall, right? And again, led all forwards with 1837 of ice time. That's by design. And I like that strategy from Boudreau, which he's talked about, is that's how we're going to get him going, is just by playing him a ton. And when he's performing well, the Vancouver Canucks are typically performing well, so we need to get him going. Those are Boudreau's words. And it just feels like there's a new mindset under Boudreaux. I, like, I mentioned it earlier in the show. It felt like the first 25 games, the Canucks were trying not to lose. Under Boudreaux, it feels like they're trying to go out and win hockey games now instead. And I really think that's all about the mindset, right? That's about the mindset of going out and being confident in your group, being confident in the players that you have on your team, on your wings. But I think most importantly of all, just, just being confident in yourself, right? And I think that's the thing that still might be a little bit behind with Elias Patterson is getting that confidence in himself, being able to know that he can go out there and do things in the past. Because you look at that line, there's a lot of potential for offense playing with the silly pod Coles and Connor Garland and Elias Patterson. Garland's the guy who's driving that line, right? Could you imagine if Patterson was driving that line and letting Garland and his style of play be the second fiddle of driving offense there? And then just having pod Coles and be the big body. There's some real potential for that line to get really good. If Patterson starts rolling. Absolutely there is, and I think it's something that it's it's not really if it's going to happen, it's going to be when it happens, right? And like I said, I think the strategy to get him going and get him going quickly is to just play him a ton until he figures it out. You bet. We we mentioned the mindset of this team changing. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux talked about that yesterday in the postgame a little bit about how the you know the penalty could have killed them yesterday, right? It feels like that, that penalty they took with, what was it, nine minutes left? It felt like that was where the team would normally – you know, just flop on their backs and take it at that point. Just not get a win out of that game. They would give up a goal, and that would be it. That's what it felt like in the first 25 games. Feels a little different right now, and this is what Boudreaux had to say yesterday about the mindset of this current hockey team. I really believe, and always have been, if you believe, you believe you're going to win rather than uh, uh, believe all it. You can either have the attitude, oh, we're really playing good, but what's going to happen? What's bad going to happen? And then it usually happens. But if you believe that you can win and, you know, when you're close, then usually that, that happens too. I just think the the mind is, is such a, a strong um, element when you're, when you're when you're playing in any sport and and hockey's no different i mean uh if this was it didn't matter who the coach was if this was at the beginning of the year when they were slumping and they got that penalty with 9 minutes to go they would have said oh you know here we go they're going to score we played a great game but now they, they were defiant and said they weren't going to score uh, no matter how many good chances or how tired our defense was out there uh it was um uh it was it was something really special Again, that was Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. In other words, he said to his team, if you want it, don't just think you want it. Go out and uh, want it more is basically what he was saying. Go out and wanting want it. Yes, exactly. Alluding to a very popular clip of the Canucks head coach during his time with the Washington Capitals. But he did point out that, very similar to what you just said, about how, yeah, it feels like in the past they would have just lied on their backs and kind of, you know, taken that loss they would have said okay well they're going to score now we just took a bad penalty we've got a lot of good texts into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line you can replace Chase on with me after a 24 hour bender at the Roxy that from Sunny and again a really good text here I really wanted to get to I went the the first time I went to the Roxy I got free drinks all night for wearing a Canucks jersey there that you was go. it there you go fantastic that's it they thought you were a player well at least Elias Pedersen played good, played good defense last night uh, he had a special penalty kill and a couple key clears. 
Uh, that was an unsigned text, but yeah. Great, good point with the text, though. Like, we didn't see any confidence in Pedersen's game in a lot of games earlier in the year. At least yesterday, you felt it in the defensive zone. I felt it in the neutral zone, too. And maybe that's just, like, how you're leveling up, right? you got to start in your own zone. Players talk about that so much, and then maybe it moves to the neutral zone. That's kind of where we're at right now. Maybe tonight's the night it gets into the offensive zone for Pedersen. Because when he walked down that alley down the middle yesterday and got that pass from Garland, I mean, Pedersen, when he's on, he doesn't miss there. And Gibson challenged really hard, came out very far out of his net, and got a shoulder on the shot. But when Pedersen's on, that puck's in the back of the net. And maybe we're getting to that point tonight would be nice. Yeah, he's in the bumper spot on the power play, not net front anymore. They've put Chase on back there. Now, one thing that I want to point out, the difference that we've kind of seen with Travis Green and Bruce Boudreaux's deployment of a struggling Pedersen or a Pedersen who's not playing like himself in the offensive zone. Under Travis... That was the only option. That was where he was going to have to play. He was going to have to start figuring out the offensive zone or he was going to get limited ice time. And there were even times where the Canucks were trying to come back in games late, goalie pulled, and in a scenario where you would it would be a no-brainer to have Pedersen out there, Pedersen sitting on the bench looking furious, uh, as one NHL scout pointed out when that happened uh, earlier in the season. But what we're seeing with Boudreaux is this whole other part of it. He said, like... Elias Pedersen's vital to this team. He's very important to this team, and he needs to feel like he's important to this team. So we need to get him involved in any way we can. And two of those ways are penalty kill and power play. That's why he's on the first power play unit, and that's why he's now killing penalties for this team. And I think all of that works to build confidence for a player. You're listening to Sportsnet today. Chris Faber and David Quadrelli here in place for Bick Nazar. Got Eddie Gregory, ones and twos, producer room. Um... Something we want to get to that I got a text on a little bit earlier from Karn uh, asking about what's going to happen with Justin Dowling heading into COVID protocol. We mentioned it a little bit earlier on the show that uh, Dowling has entered COVID protocol for the Vancouver Canucks. He played yesterday. The Canucks had 14 players, 14 forwards active on their roster until a few minutes ago when Matthew Highmore has been activated. Quads, I know you touched on this yesterday that you didn't think he was that close to coming back to play and maybe pushing him pushing that return date up a little bit a few days to get him in action when you don't have any other options to play it forward aside from maybe Kyle Burrows. Maybe Burrows comes out number 14 tonight. Alex Biega did it. I think Kyle Burrows is kind of like the Alex Biega 2.0. Could be. I think he's the guy guy to do it. Well, we're going to see Highmore, I think, instead. I don't think it's going to be Burrows tonight. Did you read that anywhere, that Highmore's in? Uh, Highmore's been activated, yes. Oh. Activated from IR, so uh, expecting in. to see Matthew Highmore tonight. And uh, and that makes sense in the fourth line, guy who can kill penalties. We haven't seen a lot of Matthew Highmore this season, but it uh, looks like we're going to see it very soon. So I think it's a bit of a sideways move to take Justin Dowling out and put Highmore And Again, if you're just tuning in, uh, Justin Dowling has been added to COVID protocols. Yes. And Matthew Highmore activated off IR. So we'll get him into the lineup. I, th- I think it, you know if Highmore is healthy, it's a... I think it's more than a sideways move. I think Highmore is a, a guy who who showed pretty well in the final little bit of uh, of coming to the Vancouver Canucks after he You're was right. traded. He did score quite a bit, actually, when he got here. So maybe that'll continue. But again, I, I think from what you're getting, it's pretty similar. It's not like they're getting this huge boost right. by adding Matthew Highmore to the lineup. No, it's not like uh, it's not like Danilo Klimovich is making his NHL debut tonight. People want to see that. 
You want to see some Klimovich. He's still a couple years away, folks. Um, talked about it a little bit earlier, too. It sounds like some of the Abbotsford players are returning uh, over the next couple days here um, from their Christmas vacations. Lots of them crossing the border as well. Um, the AHL announced has announced 100 COVID, just over 100 COVID, or sorry, players going into COVID protocol. But a lot of teams aren't announcing their COVID situations in the AHL, which makes it a little bit of a struggle. Someone that I saw a report of is expecting over 200 um, COVID cases through the AHL. And Abbotsford is one of the teams that is not publicly reporting their COVID cases. We got a text a little bit earlier, and maybe we can explore this a little bit. And I can't, sorry, I'd have to dig pretty far back to get the text. If you were the one who sent it in, go ahead and uh, shoot us a text again to let us know so we can give you credit. But somebody asked, do you think it's time for the Vancouver Canucks and to take more of a control with the Abbotsford Canucks, right? Because you've got Ryan Johnson out there running the team. It feels like they're their own separate, separate organization, right? Like they're running things their way to get some wins. A lot of people were confused about the starts for Spencer Martin compared to Arthur Silas and Mikey DiPietro getting time. Do you think it's time to make a switch and have the Canucks organization step in more? No, because like I said, the situation with the goaltenders is the one that I kind of had my eye on the most, and that's seemingly been resolved now that Spencer Martin is on the taxi squad and you've got Mikey DiPietro and Arthur Silas as the two goalies. The Canucks are kind of being forced to play one of these prospect goalies in most of their games. By the way, we're going to open up the phone boards if anybody wants to hop in here in the next 15 minutes. We have Canucks top prospect Aiden McDonough joining the show at 2.30. Going to get into a lot of stuff with him, but phone boards are now open. If you want to give us a call, 604-280-0650. Give your thoughts on the Vancouver Canucks on a seven-game road trip, what you're seeing from this team compared to what it was like in the first 25 games, what you're liking about Bruce, what are you thinking about uh, the Canucks activating Highmore, Lots of different topics you can go down. Some all-star chat we've been having uh, throughout the show. So give us a call if you want. 604-280-0650. Eddie Gregory is ready to uh, to take your call, and we'll get you right on to air here uh, and, and hear your thoughts about uh, a team that just, I mean, man, like there's there's no reason to not be excited about the Canucks right now. Like I, I, I don't know if we're taking it for granted, but if you told me that the Canucks were on a, would go on a seven-game win streak at some point this season, I don't know if I'd believe you. And to think that it would happen after a coaching change and through some battles with COVID, I I, I wouldn't believe you if you told me this is what it was going to happen this season. So I, I wonder if we're taking this seven-game win streak for granted so much and not really celebrating what has happened here with this team. I think everybody's doing an okay job of celebrating. I think so. But I kind of look at it and go back to your point of, yeah, I wouldn't believe a seven-game win streak. Do you remember there was that broadcast? I believe it was in Ottawa. And the guy in the Canucks jersey went up to the camera and just yelled, two in a row, two in a row, because it was a huge deal that the Canucks had won two games in a row. That was a huge deal early on in the season. It was like, all right, win streak starting. And now they actually have a little win streak going, a respectable one at that. And also, the Pittsburgh Penguins on a seven-game win streak, their win streak started with the infamous game, the infamous Fire Benning game. Uh, that was the last game with Travis Green behind the bench and when the fire bending chance broke out at Rogers Arena and change was made a day later. So the Canucks didn't have a three-game win streak until this seven-game win streak here. This is the 12th uh, seven-game win streak in Vancouver Canucks history, by the way. They've only ever gotten to eight wins two other times. Eight-game win streaks. They've only done it twice before. Did I? People were getting mad at me on Twitter yesterday because I tweeted that out. Is that jinxing them? Is it? Because people, I don't really were, believe people in weren't that. liking that. I don't really believe in that. Although, that Columbus game, 
I thought Elvis Merzlikens looked great. So when it was 3 nothing, I said to myself, but I said out loud, I was like, you know what? I think Merzlikens is going to get a shutout. And then he got shelled for four unanswered. So maybe it's a real thing. I don't, I don't really worry too much about it. Kings are coming off of a loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. They've got a few banged up uh, players as well. I've seen that some of their uh, some of the players from the Ontario Reign were playing, were getting some NHL action. Alex Turcott being probably the big name there, one of the high picks for the LA Kings, and um, just coming off of that game and getting back into action against the Anaheim Ducks, you can just feel this team, specifically that last forty minutes, man. Because I tell you, like I think you said this earlier in the show, quads, but. That last 40 minutes felt like the best 40 minutes of Canucks hockey we've seen in a long time. Like, in a long time. Like, I didn't see a 40-minute stretch of play like that all season long last year. I w- it would have to go back to the year where they made it into the bubble, right? Like, that was a great stretch of hockey. Just dominant. You could feel, like, you know, we ran the clip of, of JT Miller earlier in the show talking about it. They knew. They knew they had them in the second period. And to hear him say that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have heard that, you know, three weeks ago. That's something that's coming from the confidence that's been added with Bruce Boudreaux to this team. That This confidence is back with this team. It is, and it should be. And momentum is back. I think that's the key thing is they didn't have that momentum going into the game last night, right? Like, you can't have momentum when you haven't played in almost 15 days, but it's back now. They have that momentum. Maybe it's not at the same level it was before, but this is a team playing with confidence, and they have momentum on their side now. Interesting text here to the Dunbar Lumber 650-650 text line. Texas there. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. This one comes in from Yash. What's making the win streak going is the real threat to players on the roster that they might get traded. It's the carrot and the stick model. You know, the, the general manager does coming in here. <laughs> that was a bad sentence. Uh, general manager Jim Rutherford coming in here doesn't have any ties to any of these players going into this. So th- there's some there's some relevance behind this this uh this text from Yash coming in here. There is. I don't think that's it. I think what it really comes down to is just change. This organization so badly needed change. They need a new voice in the room. They need a new direction up top. Stan Smeal talked a lot about that and how they needed to have that direction up top and a clear plan in place and it's there now. There's more accountability, it seems like, on the management group than there was before. And, you know, Ian McIntyre kind of touched on this yesterday uh, when he was on our show. But it just felt like toward the end, there was a lack of communication at all levels of the organization. And that had to get fixed. Uh, So far, so good, right? With Jim Rutherford doing pressers. uh, Jim Rutherford saying that he called every player that tested positive with COVID uh, and checked up on them. That is not something that happened last year. Um, So for that to happen already with Jim Rutherford, it's a good sign. Yeah, I think there's been a massive shift uh, from the management anyways as we've seen Jim Rutherford come in here and make a massive difference. It's it's just so refreshing, right? Like that that's the ultimate thing. It's just massively refreshing to see what the changes can happen on the ice from changes that above them are making a lot more sense of having a direction and moving forward, having more professional knowledge come down from the top end. It's it's making a massive impact and Yes, I think I think it's affecting the players a lot. And I don't I think a lot of it is from the coach. I think Bruce Boudreaux is definitely you know getting this team going and getting this team excited, but I do think that the change in the actual organization is also making a pretty big difference. I I, I don't think that's being talked about a lot, but I do think having Jim Rutherford come in here it, it, 
like you could hear some of the players talk about it when they were asked about him coming in. It it, it does seem like a big like a, a big boost to them to know that a guy who's won Stanley Cups, who has the prestige that Jim Rutherford has, has come in and is now running this team, I think it's making a big difference for sure. And I don't think it's being talked about a lot from the general manager perspective because the coach is being talked about so much, but I do think that Rutherford has an impact on these players playing so much better too. And I don't like I don't disagree so much. Like I, I don't one hundred percent agree with Yash's text, which was saying that it's kind of the carrot and the stick, these players could get traded anytime. I don't one hundred percent agree with that, but I that, what I kind of said was like there is there is some point behind that. I don't think Yash is really 100% wrong on that either. No, I don't think so either. But again, I don't fully agree with it either. I don't think there's a carrot in the stick model going on here. I think it's just mostly a change of scenery that's resulted in this. Vance in the Loop's asking about the win streaks. So the Canucks all-time, they had a 10-game win streak in the 2002-2003 season where November 9th to 30th, they went on a 10-game win streak. That's the longest win streak in Canucks history. And then, yes, there was a big win streak as well that started just before the Christmas break in 2010, going into the 2011 year, where they won eight straight. So this could be, like we said, if they win tonight, the third time this team has hit an eight-game win streak. And this is only regular season only. I believe there's a couple longer ones when you include the playoffs, but this is just regular season. Now I think we're starting to get into the jinxing territory to be honest with you. Yeah, that might have gone a little bit. We uh, might have to pump the brakes here. A little bit in that direction right now. But, uh, you know, it's fun. We're having a good time. We're having some fun with this team right now. Like, it's – I can't believe how much – you know, even, like, could you imagine how hard it would be coming in here doing radio if, like, if the Canucks were still losing? We're already dealing with all this COVID stuff that's going on. We just saw the World Juniors canceled. We're seeing a player at it, it feels like, every day. We're going to get into a cycle now where every five days it's going to be a guy coming off and a guy coming into the protocol, which is going to suck. But, God damn, at least they're winning. <laughs> at least they're winning and, and making it somewhat fun to talk about as, as, we've, as we've seen the world just crumble around us here. At least the Canucks are winning, man. At least we're getting something half-decent to talk about. Um, I'm excited for our next conversation coming up here, Quads. we got Aiden McDonough joining the show. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks I believe top prospect. Is he number one in your books? You got someone else up there? You like your DiPietro. You like your Klimovich. I do like my DiPietro, but it's hard not to say McDonough at this point. Yeah. So we're going to get into Dave. He's got 13 goals and 18 NCAA games right now with Northeastern. So that should be uh, an interesting conversation, which we will get to on the other side. But, man, seven-game win streak for the Vancouver Canucks. Like we said, if they're not winning, this would be a lot more tough to come in here and do this show, but it's been a lot of fun chatting about the Vancouver Canucks all day today, seeing what the Canucks have been able to do on this seven-game win streak, looking to get eight as they uh, as they play the LA Kings tonight in the back-to-back situation. Like, I wonder if that's going to throw them off at all. Obviously, they are going to be going uh, with Yaroslav Halak, as we heard today earlier from Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux, as well as the only other roster change that we know of, is that Dowling is going to be out, Highmore is going to be in. Yaroslav Halak in net. That's going to be a really important one to watch. Yes. Yes, it will. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's going to be like a situation where you kind of go into it the way that they did against Columbus, where everybody's like, oh, no, Jaroslav Halak's in net. I'm predicting a good Halak performance tonight. Again, don't want to get too into the territory of jinxing, but I am thinking that Halak's going to bring his A game tonight. All right, we're up against it here, but let's squeeze in one call. Brian and Coquitlam. Brian, you're up. Uh, you got to be quick. We're going to get to Aiden McDonough on the other side, but yeah, what do you got, Brian? Yeah, good afternoon. I was one of the guys uh, pushing to uh, make changes uh, before the summer uh, happened. But anyway, I, as it turned out, they did them later. But 
I just wonder how far they would have been up ahead now if they'd have done those changes. But one other thing too is that uh, everybody talks about Green. His record's not good. He's not a good coach in my in my deal. If you look at his record, his record's way below 500. So to me, he's not a good coach, and uh, they made the right right move. Right on. Thanks for the call, Brian. Yeah, Brian's been pounding that uh, Travis Green drum for a while, and he hasn't been wrong to a certain degree. But at the same time. I don't think that the roster that Travis Green was given was uh, was an above 500 roster either a lot of the time. So I, I think that there's there's a little here and there. I, I think Green is to blame for some of the struggles of the Vancouver Canucks, but I wouldn't say all of it. I, I'm not going to come out and say that Travis Green is a bad, bad NHL coach. I think he'll get hired by another NHL I think, team. I think he will too, and, and you hope for success with the guy. Um, but on the other side, hey, let's, uh, let's hit the break right now so we can get uh, a nice extended conversation with Vancouver Canucks prospect Aiden McDonough of Northeastern. He's been ripping it up this year in the NCAA as he's in his junior year with Northeastern University. We'll chat with him. Wrap up the show, have a little fun with Eddie maybe at the end. Maybe not. Maybe Eddie's in a bad mood now. We haven't brought him in for an hour here. Eddie, you all right? You all right in there, Eddie? I'm totally fine. Okay. Good. It's like when you ask the wife, Eddie's, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. <laughs> that's that's the one. Get to break. All right. We're getting to break now. Uh, you guys are listening to Sportsnet today with Chris Favor and David Quadrelli filling in for Vic. And uh, on the other side, Aiden McDonough going to join us here on Sportsnet 650. Chris Faber, David Quadrelli here, Sportsnet Today. Eddie Gregory in the producer's room, spinning the tracks. I don't know if you see the text inbox, but uh, we got one here saying, I miss DJ Faber. Eddie, throwing some shade your way at the rejoinder music. Got to get used to my touch. <laughs> it's a little different. I, I've been liking the music you've been playing, Eddie. I think you're doing a fine job. I have as well. Got to mix it up a little bit. You haven't played any of the strokes for quads, though? He's been kind of bad. Not a strokes I'm guy. St- and I'm still content with it. Even though he just said he's not a strokes guy, I'm still. That hurts a little bit, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Not a strokes guy. No. Clip it. Um, our next guest we're excited to get on here. Aiden McDonough, one of the top prospects for the Vancouver Canucks. Currently playing with the Northeastern Huskies, ripping it up down in the NCAA. Aiden, how you doing, man? How was the uh, Christmas break? Were you able to see some family? Get any of that in for you? Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, it's uh, just actually getting back to school here. Just got off the ice for our first practice back. Um, but, yeah, my break was great. I got to go home, uh, spend some time with some family and friends. I got to skate with the old high school team. So it was good. A lot of fun. Nice. Do you like the strokes? That's uh, kind of a topic we've <laughs> just thrown around the station today. Do I like the Strokes? Yeah, the band, the Strokes. Um, sorry, I, I don't know who they are. Oh ah, no! Thank you, oh, Aiden. No. All right, you take it from here, favor. I appreciate that. Quads has left the studio. Um, as <laughs> as you got your Christmas break in, we've kind of been touching on some Christmas gifts and stuff. What was one of the low key gifts that you were really happy with this year for Christmas, Aiden? Anything fun? Um, I guess one of the more low key ones is a little bit sentimental. I guess my uh, I got a chain for my birthday, and my dad got me a nice little. Uh, pendant on it uh saint christopher with a hockey player on the other side so that's uh something that i put on my on my neck and i'll, I'll, I'll wear it every day now so it's kind of one of the low-key ones that i got today i really enjoy awesome man i'm saying if a necklace is low-key what were you getting for christmas well just clothes i guess and i'm getting older now so <laughs> yeah that's awesome. clothes and a pair, pair of shoes nothing really else i can get yeah socks and underwear that's Definitely, the way to go exactly yeah i miss, miss opening up sticks and and gloves and stuff under, under the tree but um <laughs> Luckily, it's taken care of with the team, so don't worry about that. But Aiden, 13 goals in 18 games. What's working for you? Uh, I mean, I think there's a couple of, a couple of factors. Um, I mean, first, our team is, is playing tremendous. Um, you know, we're not scoring a ton of goals. We're 
before the break, we're missing a lot of our offensive firepower, and um, I kind of had to step up a little bit to to produce offense. Um, but our team, I mean, we're playing really well defensive hockey. Our penalty kill has been unbelievable. Our goalie's been outstanding. Um, and, you know, we were scoring one or two goals a game and just kind of finding ways to win. Um, I've played with almost everyone um, in the lineup, and we have really good depth this year. So I think um, I have played with a lot of good players and a lot of guys getting me the puck. And um, I think just kind of sticking to doing the right things and doing the little things, the details, the habits, those types of things that kind of end up, um, you know, adding go- piling goals together. So those things help. Aiden, hockey fans in Vancouver watched Team Canada at the World Juniors last year, and they saw Devin Levi in net. He was fantastic for Team Canada, and he's been fantastic for you guys. What can you say about him? Unbelievable. He's um, he's he's probably the best goalie I've ever I've ever played with. Um, He's, he's, he's the real deal. Uh, he, you know, he only skated with us a few times last year and then he went to the team Canada for the quarantine and he was hurt and didn't skate with us, but he's been unbelievable. Um, in practice to get one by him, you definitely cheer and everyone bangs your sticks a little bit louder than they do if you score on the other goalies, but we have three great goalies. Um, but he, he's, he's unbelievable. And then when it gets to games, I mean, he's just so dialed in, he's so focused. He loves hockey maybe more than anyone I've ever met in my whole life. He, um, he eats, sleeps, breathes hockey, and um, he's just an unbelievable goalie and a great guy, too. And a lot of your guys' team play, and, and honestly, man, the goaltending has just been great. That's gotten you guys up to number 13 in the most recent uh, NCAA rankings, and, and honestly, you guys are probably going to keep climbing. Only one loss in your last 12 games. Uh, the confidence must be high with this group. I mean, how much of that starts with Devin Levi and kind of works its way out from the crease because you guys are playing good defense over that 12-game stretch here? Yeah, I think it, it's huge. He gives uh, he gives us a, an opportunity to win every single night, and we know with him in the net that um, you know if we do the right things um, in terms of letting him see shots and clearing our rebounds, and that we can go you know focus a little bit more on playing offense. That um, that you know he's going to be there to, to backstop us. But no, the energy's been great. It's been awesome. Um, you know, going holidays, you know, um, in good spirits and good moods. We our first skate back today. I thought the energy was awesome. You know, guys. We're a little bit rusty uh, in some sense in terms of the passing and, and things like that, but the energy was awesome. Um, the confidence is high, and we have a lot of really talented players coming back healthy. Um, so, you know, we're all super excited for the second half, and we just can't wait to get going. And, Aiden, this year only three of your 13 goals uh, have come on the power play. I know that was something you and I have joked about in past years, about how you uh, just basically scored so many power play goals from that right side, but you're doing it at five-on-five five a lot more this year. Uh, how much is that about your line mates? Because I know you, you've moved around the lines a little bit and seen a few different line mates throughout the season. So what's happening right now at five-on-five five, uh, for you to see yourself scoring more goals at even strength than you have in the past two years uh, of your NCAA career? Um, well, I think the first thing is that we, I, I know I have to, we, our team, we haven't, uh, power play hasn't been great and we haven't really been getting many power plays, um, at all. We've only been getting, you know, one or two a game at most, um, a few games with no power plays. So we've kind of have, you know, we've been forced to score five on five just because our power play hasn't really been clicking like it usually is. Um, but like you said, I've had, I've had great line mates, um, throughout the whole first half and i you know, we have so many good players. I'll continue to have great line mates. And, um, biggest thing for me, you know, I've said this thousands of times, but just to move my feet. Um, you know, I think if I'm moving my feet and, you know, getting open for my linemates and, you know, they seem to be finding me and, um, you know, I've had good chemistry with a bunch of guys up and down the lineup, but, um, yeah, I think our power play could, you know, we'd like to get going a bit more, hopefully a few more power play goals. Cause, um, you know, we're kind of, we've had a lot of close ones with two to one wins or one nothing overtime wins with no power play goals. So that'd be nice to start to get a few in that regard too. But, 
Uh, I'll take them any way they come, especially 515. Absolutely. And and you mentioned moving your feet a little bit more. I know you told us in the off season that uh, you were working with a new skating coach. Uh, you even told us that the first couple of days you felt like Bambi uh, on the ice, working with a skating coach as they were teaching you some different things. Uh, have you seen that pay dividends now at this point in the season? Like, are you still working with the skating coach, or was it just kind of like an off season thing uh, and maybe look forward to it next off season as well? Or are you seeing differences from that skating coach that you worked with in the off season? Well, yeah, I definitely do still feel like I, it makes a difference. I actually I saw her a few times over break, um, so she kind of uh, put me through it a few times and um, a few sk- top, really tough skates, no pucks, um, for a couple times over break, so that was really good to see her. And it's just kind of just working on the same things over and over again, the edge work, uh, the power, the stride, all those kind of things that, you know, come together to help you, you know, feel a lot more confident and, um, and feel better on your edges. And I think that's the biggest thing is that I just feel – you know, more confident on my skates. I feel better in corners and cutbacks. And, um, you know, it's just kind of knowing I put in the work kind of gives you the confidence to, you know, to move your feet more and try those things uh, out in the ice. And Aiden, I know you're a guy who's locked in with the, all your goals being about this season with Northeastern, but is, is that something that you want to work on as you kind of look down the road of being a pro? Like, is that somewhat of the reason why you wanted to get with a skating coach this offseason? Yeah, I think I, I had to at, at some point. I think uh, the way the game is played now, even just watching the World Juniors, how fast that is, watching the NHL, how fast it is to play in the NHL, doesn't matter if you're big now or you can shoot, you have to skate to a certain degree. Um, and I just think I, I need to work on it. I, you know, I want to be better. I want to be make more of an impact five on five. And, um, you know, I think that even to have a better impact in college, you need to be able to, you know, skate really well. Um, so that was just you know, my focus in terms of just me getting better as a hockey player because there's always, you know, I'm always constantly trying to work on new things and that was the most important thing that I, I need to work on and can continue to work on. So that's the part of the biggest thing I'll, I'll still, you know, keep working on no matter what level I'm at. And that's kind of an interesting point of looking at it. Like you said, you got to be a good skater in the NCAA. One of the, the things that you find so often is, is smaller bodies in the NCAA that, you know, there's a lot of guys that are really quick when they're a smaller body playing in the NCAA. They have to be quick. And, you know, to see a guy your size, you're kind of the outlier. There's not, you know, the, the NCAA is full of guys that are, you know, obviously grown men, but I don't think we see a ton of 6'4", 220-pound guys skating around. So you got to be quick. Is that is that something that kind of caught you off guard in your first couple of years of, of knowing that you had to improve your skating after seeing the level of play in the NCAA? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But, um, you know, I think everyone wants to play in the NHL, right? And everyone's working on, on other skills every single day. And like I said, for me, the biggest thing I need to work on if I want to have success in college um, and I just don't want to score backdoor power play goals is to work on my skating. And same thing if I, you know, whenever I play professional hockey, that's the same exact thing for me to, you know, have success. And the biggest thing is going to be my skating. Um, you know, I'm still working on other parts of my game, but I just think that's the most important thing, you know, for really anybody at this point, because the game is so fast, um, but especially for me. And for people who don't know, I know that uh, as you joined us on the podcast, we've talked a lot about uh, one of your good friends, Jack Rathbone, uh, kind of dealing with some injuries this year. Have you uh, been in contact with him lately? See how things are going with Jack? Yeah, I have. I actually I saw him um, twice over break. We got together for dinner nice. uh, one night, and then we just hung out at a buddy's house. Um, he kind of he laid low just because of the whole uh, the COVID thing, uh, which is kind of going crazy right now around our area everywhere. Um, and, you know, he just didn't want to get it before going back to Canada. So um, I know he kept it low-key over break. But, yeah, I have talked to him. Um, and, yeah, he's dealing with some injuries. But I think he, he's skating over break. Um, I don't know how much contact or what he was doing, but I think he's feeling a lot better. Um, I know he's back in Abbotsford now. So, 
Yeah, that's uh, that's what we heard as well. I I know that I uh, I asked him when you were going to stop scoring goals a couple weeks ago, uh, and he said never. So uh, we've seen that kind of <laughs> continue on so far with the NCAA. Like y- we joked about it when you joined us in the off season to chat about it uh, and asked if you had a, a goal set for yourself for goals that you wanted to score. I won't ask you to give us that number, but are you on pace for it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think um, you know maybe a little bit ahead of pace, but there's still. Uh, a lot more work to do. I mean, we still have, uh, I think, 17 games left, so um, plenty of time to get to that number and, hope, and hopefully get some more um, and hopefully add a few assists along the way too, so that'd be nice. Yeah, most definitely. And, and you mentioned it, like the power play is not really getting a ton of opportunities right now. Is that kind of a struggle? Like you want to probably get out there, get the reps in, you know, be able to kind of gel with the guys on the power play, but maybe this is something that you guys can look forward to in the second half of the year is, you know, getting more opportunities and seeing the power play come together because you, you know, in all your time with Northeastern, we've seen your guys' power play be one of the best in the nation. Yeah, no, my, my first two years, we've had the best power play in hockey. I think last year we averaged one and a half goals a game on the power play. Um, and, you know, we're winning games in the first half with not scoring any goals in the power play. So we're like, okay, if we can get our power play clicking the way it was last year, then that gives us, you know, a huge advantage. Um, I think it's a few things. We have a lot of new guys um, in different different spots in the power play um, so that haven't really been in that situation for a long period of time. So it takes time to get to, get to gel and come together and start clicking because power plays are kind of all about momentum and feel and confidence. Um, and then, like you said, just only getting one or two a game, it's kind of tough to get into that rhythm when – you know, you haven't got one all game and you get one in the second or in the third and you kind of haven't been out there and, you know, maybe you get a few, you know, close chances, you get a post and then that's all you're getting, you know, but when you're getting, yeah. you know, three to four power plays a game, just give yourself a better opportunity to get clicking and, and you got to get that rhythm back. Yeah, I think back to like some games where you had three three power play goals in a game, Aiden. So we haven't seen uh, that opportunity really come this year. I guess on that note too, like you're in your junior year now, your third year of NCAA hockey. What's your confidence level like compared to what it was when you came in as a freshman? Like, I, I can just imagine it's so different from what it is coming into this year. Yeah, I think it's, it's a little different. I mean, um, I think I think even my freshman year, I thought I, I kind of came a little bit easier at times just because I was playing with Tyler Madden and he made it pretty easy on me. <laughs> and then I think last year is kind of where I saw the confidence go away a little bit. Um, and freshman, everything's just so new. You're just... I was just even happy to be in the lineup and just be playing every night. Like I'm not really worried about, about too much. Um, but then last year you get older and a little bit more responsibility kind of falls on you. And then you go through a few games, um, you know, without scoring and you're, you kind of doubt yourself a little bit. Um, but this year I've just been trying to be consistent. I think that's something that I've struggled with a little bit, um, which most, most goal scorers go through times when they're hot and when they're not scoring as much. But the biggest thing for me this year was trying to be consistent and, it's definitely high. I think it's, you know, my confidence, I feel good out there. Um, but I feel like I, you know, definitely not complacent by any means. Um, I just have to keep pushing because, you know, our team, myself, we're not where we want to be yet, but we're, you know, we're on our way. So I think that's, you know, important to, to keep in mind that, um, you know, I still have a lot more to do, a lot more to push for. And I mentioned earlier, only one loss in your last 12 games. I see you guys at number 13 on the rankings. Is that is that too low? Should you guys be higher up than that? I mean, no, we're, we're happy with where we are, but I think um, there was a few games that we, we let slip that, you know, we know that we could have had those. Um, but, no, I, I think we're, we're going to have a really – we put ourselves in a really good position to, to make a really good push here in the second half. And, you know, if we had six out of our top nine forwards out for those 12 games when we were, you know, 10-1-1. So we get those guys back to line up, um, get our power play kick, clicking. Our penalty kill has been unbelievable. We're getting saves from Dev and 
you know, we, we really think that, you know, we have, we have a really special team. Hey, Aiden, I don't really know the, I think I know the answer to this, but the bean pot's coming back, right? Uh, in February, you guys getting back to that? No cancellations, anything? No, not that we've heard of. Um, obviously things seem to be changing by the hour at this point. Um, and by the day, which in terms of COVID, but as of right now, the bean pots, bean pots on the Bruins have fans. So I'm assuming that we'll have fans. Nice. Um, so yeah, as of right now, it, it, um, it's full go, which, you know, we're obviously super excited for. That's exciting, man. Yeah. It's been a nice tournament for you, uh, in your run so far. And it'll be the 69th bean pot, uh, this year as well. So that's always been a good one for you. Um, Aiden, as before we wrap up here, a lot of the, the prospects we've talked to, especially the guys in the CHL, I don't know how different it is for NA, for guys in the NCAA, but a lot of them, their goal is to get a contract with the NHL team at the end of the season. Is that something that's been on your mind this year at all, to sign with the Vancouver Canucks at the end of this year? No, um, not particularly. I mean, obviously, everyone's goal is to play in the NHL and to sign a contract at some point. Um, but that's, you know, my goal is, is to do – and get better every day and do the best I can for Northeastern this year. And then, um, you know, whatever happens at the end of the year, whether it be this year, next year, two years from now, uh, three years from now, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, I just want to make sure that I'm ready and um, I'm confident and the decision is, you know, going to be one that I have to feel comfortable with. Um, but it's honestly, to be, to be completely honest with you, not something that I'm, I'm really thinking about at all at this point. Um, I was just happy to get through my first practice back after <laughs> a couple of days off from the ice. Um, and then we have practice in uh, bike testing tomorrow morning. So I'm just here and getting ready for that. So no, I'm not too, not too focused on that right now. No. Good stuff. I was wondering if Jack was maybe whining and dining you trying to get the guys that you can get some outpa- outlet passes to, uh, to come play with them. <laughs> no, he does. He does. He always, he just kind of always says, uh, you know, great things of the organization. And, um, you know, he loves, loves all the staff and Abbotsford. He thinks they're unbelievable guys and great coaches. They've helped him a lot. And then obviously when he's up at the big club, he, has nothing but good things to say about them too. Um, but no, he's, he kind of, you know, lets me do my thing. I kind of let his do let him do his thing, but um, he definitely is in my ear about, about how great it is. So that's good to hear. What do you think about uh, the Canucks adding Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux as the coach, obviously a guy who's uh, got a good reputation around the NHL. He's been a lot of fun to deal with in media so far. What do you think about them adding a, a big veteran coach like Bruce Boudreaux? Yeah. I mean, honestly, um, I don't know, you know, too much about him or, or, um, all that just kind of seems like it's it's pretty far away, but from a distance, it, I mean, they're winning, right? They're seven and zero. Is it seven and zero? Yeah, you got started? it. So I mean, that, that that's awesome. Um, you know, I see some of the post game press conferences. The guys seem like they're in good spirits and they they seem to be happy. And you know, when you're winning, it kind of cures everything. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that that seems awesome. Yeah, where they're running, they're running hot. You guys at Northeastern are running hot, and uh, we'll wish you the best of luck here heading into the new year, Aiden. Uh, we're gonna, it's going to be exciting to follow you guys, uh, you know, into the bean pod, into the playoffs, everything. It seems like the, uh, your guys' team is really starting to come together over the past month here. So, uh, best of luck the rest of the way, and thanks a ton for joining us here. Yeah, well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, that was Aiden McDonough, one of the Canucks' top prospects and uh, winger for Northeastern. Appreciate him uh, joining the team here. So Jack wasn't whining and dining him, though, eh? You don't think he was trying to get him to come Not up to Not too much. I think he's being respectful of his friend, right? Wants him to have success at Northeastern first. That's what he's focused on. I think Rath, that. Rathbone on the like top of the top of the power play for Abbotsford. You got McDonough on the right with that shot. Those guys Rathbone's can get not going to be in Abbotsford for much longer. Like, let's not forget that, right? That's true too. Seen some people on uh, on Twitter saying about talking a lot of bad about Brad Hunt, saying why are we talking about Brad Hunt on the radio? Because he had a really good game yesterday. Was on the ice for ten shots, four and one against. Maybe that's why we're talking about him. 
I thought he had an excellent game. And and though, like we we were kind of worried yesterday, saying, well, you know, he's taking Pod Colson off of the power play. There's a couple little moments though. Brad Hunt looked like a power play type of guy. He did. Maybe Bruce is just right all along. He said he said he's most effective on the power play. Bruce Boudreaux said that about Brad Hunt. Yeah, and of course, playing in a bottom pairing role looked completely fine yesterday. I thought. Yeah, Burnaby Express legend. That's why we're talking about him. Oh, here we go. Yeah, me, See, and, Eddie, me and Eddie in the in same there. studio. What do Can't you remember? Argue. Can't argue. I mean, when you're talking about Brad Hunt, and we're talking about the NHL Brad Hunt here, he's limited as a seventh defenseman in the National Hockey League. I mean, that's what he's been when he broke into the league with Edmonton, bounced around with Vegas, St. Louis, Nashville, Minnesota, and now in Vancouver, right? He's not maybe Alex Biega, but just another guy to have in your system to rotate in and out that can fill in in a short period of time, chip in here and there, and when he's at his most effectiveness, he's helping you on the power play. And his most dangerous asset is that shot on the power play. And that's just what you're going to get from Brad Hunt. Don't expect him to be the full-time player going to play 82 games and be a key member of your top six on the defense. But he'll rotate in and out. And for the most part, he won't hurt you. And when he's driving some offense is when he's helping you. And in the short term, Brad Hunt is helping based on what you pointed out with this production last night and being helpful on the power play. Yeah, and it was one game where he looked good, right? Exactly. That's all we have to build off of right now. Yes. So don't know why we're getting uh... – a lot of hate on Twitter about the Brad Hunt conversation. Spending time, Vancouver Sports Radio talking about the defenseman. What are we doing? I mean, Vancouver brought him in because injuries always happen on the back end. And you want guys who played in the National Hockey League to fill in those op- those times when you need bodies on the back end. And Brad Hunt is a perfect guy that can do that. And he's not going to disrupt your room. He's not going to you know, ruin your chemistry. He's going to be the perfect Soldier, foot soldier in that room when he isn't playing. And they love him in that room, too. Oh, he's a top-notch character. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree with a lot of what you said there, Eddie. And uh, as we as we wrap up here, uh, last couple minutes of the show here, but uh, the Aiden McDonough conversation there, like people ask about him. He's a six foot four winger playing at Northeastern, scoring a ton of goals. Really like a lot what he's bringing to his game. Working with the skating coach. Said he got some time in with the skating coach even over the break here, which was good to hear. Like, no puck practices. He's kind of talked about those being the tough ones with skating coaches where you literally are just working on skating the whole time. Uh, but good to hear that from him. And and the interesting part that I think he brought up was, like, listen, Aiden McDonough has been a power play scorer throughout his time in the NCAA, scoring a ton of power play goals from that right side with that real strong shot that he has as a left shot guy in the right half wall. But they're not getting a lot of opportunities. He's saying some game we're getting one opportunity, some games we're getting no opportunities. You know, maybe that power play gets going. We see Aiden score even more goals right now. But I think the impressive part is the first two years he was kind of known as just a power play guy. Right, that's where he was scoring all his goals. He's got ten of his thirteen goals this year at five on five. So nice and impressive to see uh, from McDonough so far. And it was good to get a conversation with him in here, Quads. And then we even got a little goalie talk. Every segment got a little goalie talk this tonight. You like? He doesn't listen to the strokes though, so that. Kind of. You did shut down pretty hard when he said that. You I were knocked, gone the yeah, whole interview. Yeah, I, I left the studio. You did, you I asked him a few questions after that. You didn't even leave the studio. You just like sunk into your chair. Sad. Thinking yeah. about the strokes. It's like Eddie when I talk head. about the uh, Nanaimo Clippers. Eddie does the same thing. <laughs> Doesn't like I, it. I can't argue right now. I mean, <laughs> the records speak for what they are. So. Yeah. Coquitlam. Uh, Nanaimo's in town on Sunday afternoon. I'm, I think I'm going to go to that game. Is, uh, we, I might be going to that game too. Yeah. I think we're going to try. We might get to a... It's going to be a big reunion on Sunday. Might oh, be. yeah. We're going to do a shot, uh, show Broadcasting live, live with our with our producer, Eddie, from the press box. Yeah. Well, we'll be producing for Eddie. He's got the call. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right. So uh, thanks to everyone uh, for texting in. 
listening to the show, giving some reaction on social media. It's been a blast for for Quads and I to uh, get the opportunity to do some hosting during the week here. Uh, we've just been kind of setting the table for the people show for a couple of game days, but I think it's been a blast um, seeing everyone on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Appreciate that. Appreciate everyone uh, contributing to the show. It's been an excellent uh, couple of days here, Quads. I've had some fun. Any final words from yourself before we sign off here? No, thanks to everybody who interacted with us. We had so much fun. We'll be back on Saturday for the Canucks warm-up. We have a regular show here. Much to uh, the chagrin of many textures. Not many. A few textures really don't like us, but a lot of people said some really nice things, so we appreciate it. New Year's Day, we're back, eh? I suppose. Maybe not. Maybe we'll take the week off. No, I think we're back. I think we are supposed to be back. (laughs) We'll check the schedule. But yeah, you guys, if you've enjoyed this show, uh, we we host on Saturdays uh, the Canucks warm-up, get you the three hours going into the pregame show on Saturdays and Sundays, kind of mixing it up the days. But uh, yeah, just a big thanks to everyone. I want everyone out there to have a happy new year. First off, enjoy the game tonight against the LA Kings. Should be another fun one as the Canucks go for eight straight wins. But if not, Have yourself a happy new year. We'll see you guys in 2022. Let's hope that 2022 is a lot better than 2021. So for producer Eddie Gregory, whose birthday was two days ago, David Quadrelli, and myself, Chris Faber, thank you so much for listening to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 650.